Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your also and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Summer insomnia is in full swing this week, Kate. Yay! That is exciting. Do you have? No, it's not uh, exciting. It's really <laughs> miserable. <laughs> do you? I was gonna say, like, do you? Do you have like drapes or curtains? I don't know if the we, the room you're recording in is where you sleep, but it's just very bright. No, um, I I got blackout curtains on Wednesday. Um, so yeah, between the, like the longer days and then just um. I basically have an undiagnosed version of like summer version of sads anyway. <laughs> oh, that um sucks. so like the way that most people feel in the winter is how I typically feel during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um largely I think it's just the longer days because it stays like really bright here until like 9:30. Yeah. And so really it really fucks up with my like sleep cycles and I get really emotional as my person can attest to this week as that combined with going going to see Hereditary on Sunday, which scared the shit out of me, and I had to sleep with the lights on two nights in a row. Um, that movie's very scary. It's very good, but it's very scary. Um, that it was just a big combination of summer settling in, scary movie, overactive imagination, and me just becoming a complete mess this week. Um, so that sounds fun. Yeah, it's it's been a week and if it's been a week, but it's been like a week and a half. Mm-hmm. It feels like. Um, but how have you been this week? Well, aside from the shit show of the actual world, it's been good. Yeah, right. So, it's been terrible. Yeah, it's been just so bad. Um, but I'm trying. Like I've been very actively when I like assessing when I need a break and making mm-hmm. myself put my phone down. And making myself, like, go do things that I need to get done without letting, you know, like, it's so tempting to just kind of do a quick scan to see if anything is, you know, new on Twitter or some, anything's broken or, but I, I've had to just very actively be like, hey, you're putting that down now and you're going to go watch something happy or you're going to go mm-hmm. run an errand or any of that stuff. And that's, I think, been helping. Um, and I, I know that there are definitely listeners who have been like, who are so ahead of me, who've been doing this for like years <laughs> at this point now. But um, that was a very significant adjustment, and I think a good one for me through this week. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but there was there was a bunch of uh, you know, like I was in D.C. last weekend. I was visiting with family, which was lovely, and um, just taking care of some. I actually got like I'm still super behind on work, but I got the like stuff that was crucial taking care of like caught up with which is very exciting yeah. for me so now i just have i'm like regular behind instead of extra behind which is like a, it's a wonder it's a wonderful feeling so yay <laughs> yay i will take the wins where i can get them um we heard from some listeners this week we heard from the goat on the couch who t- uh, reached out about sense eight uh who really liked the shootout at the at Lila, was it Ficini's, uh, gar- the townhouse. It was ridiculous. I loved it, as I've never seen a woman be a Bond villain with an evil fortress guarded by nameless hordes of minions, which that, like, yeah, 
That's super fair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's super legit. Yeah. And, uh, and she had a personal hairstylist to help ensure that she looked fabulous. And that's an excellent point. So thank you for reaching out with that one. Thank Uh, Vince reached out because, of course, we were asking, you we were speculating last week whether Vince was going to be more on board with Cloak and Dagger after the third episode. And you were right. So, uh, Vince says, turns out Noel's right when talking about, uh, Cloak, Cloak and Dagger, episode three. And as soon as I, c- I saw episode three, as soon as I could, and I'm totally on board now. It's got weird. It got more interesting, and I totally sh- uh, shipped Tyrone and his classmate. They're doomed. Yes, they, yes, yeah, yeah, they are. They are totally doomed. Even though season episode four does not leave Tandy and Tyrone in like a great space. Yeah, but I so. mean they're OTP. I mean obviously but they're OTP. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, episode f- he's looking forward to episode four. Um, and the the hints of backstory and you know like more of what's going on. Uh, I enjoy that Vince is also super down with the hoodie because you know I have strong feelings about that. Um, anyways, so we're gonna talk more cloak and dagger when we get to that part of our weekend TV. But I wanted to remember to give a shout out to Thagyota and Vince for reaching out. Um, we have some news that we are behind on. So last week, as I said at the start of previous podcast, we recorded early and like the, <laughs> the, the moment, uh, like, like the very next day, there was a huge breaking TV story that normally we would have discussed at length that we couldn't both, like we were, could not find a time when we could both talk to do it last weekend. So we need to talk this week about Chloe Dykstra coming forward with her um, story and her experiences with uh, sexual and emotional abuse in her relationship with a previous boyfriend who is Chris Hardwick. Um, so, but from since the last week, it, over the course of the last week, um, she she came forward with her uh, her story and her allegations, and he took a full day to write a shitty denial post. Then about another day later, um, or I think, or maybe it was like a half a day later, uh, all of the talking shows got pulled from AMC and Hardwick got pulled from Comic-Con. Took too long for BBC to do that, but they did. And um, then <laughs> TMZ and their shittiness got a hold of and decided to post some texts from Dykstra uh, to Hardwick asking to get back together after they had broken up um, as some sort of like refutation that that it had been an abusive relationship. Because why, if it was abusive, why would somebody who had been abused try to get back together with their abuser? That's like not at all the exact cycle of abuse. Not at all. No, that's that's never that that doesn't happen. Yeah, ever. Anyways, um, I think listeners pretty much know where we stand on this, but uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about it. So, what what do you you know what did what was your reaction to to hearing all this and the the sort of the response and back and forth that we were hearing in TV discussions this week? Um, mostly I just felt really vindicated that I never liked Chris Hardwick. <laughs> Um, like I've always, I've always disliked him immensely. Um, just his general sort of persona and this sort of quiet sort of reveal and like Dykstra doesn't name any sorts of, doesn't name names, but it's, it's very clear that it's, and it's very clear that's hard work. Um, that I was just like, yeah, this is not even remotely surprising to me in any way, shape or form. Um, so apart from like the general sort of smugness, like reading through Dykstra's medium post, it was very much like, 
this sounds horrible and terrible and it's good it's good that she feels that she's in a place where she can share this sort of thing um with the general public within this particular time um where all of this is being circulated and i'm glad that some of the responses to it were really quick, like Nerdist basically going, no, Chris Hardwick does not exist <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so far as we are concerned any longer. Like, he's not been involved with us since 2017, but you know what? We're just going to scrub him from the side entirely. He doesn't exist. And it's just like, way to go, Nurse. Why didn't BBC America react that quickly? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, sort of the other thing I noticed really quickly in relation to, like, the talking shows being ganked was the fact that there's a weird sort of warning on Aisha Tyler's, um, uh, whatchamacallit, on her show that she does after, her talking show that she does after Dietland, about when this was recorded. (laughs) 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 And I'm just like, okay, we're, we're," and like, I watched Dietland with my person because she and I both really enjoy Dietland a great deal. And so, like, I was like, oh, because we were discussing, like, who should take over for Talking Dead. And obviously the answer is Yvette Brown. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's who should take over the Talking Dead. But it, it was just that kind of a discussion of like, oh, right. So even she, even my person was just like, I wonder when that was filmed. Because I have questions about that still being on right now. And what they're going to talk about this week. Um, so I'm really glad that Nerdist moved as quickly. I'm glad that Hardwick has been sort of, like, yanked from a number of things. Um, and I also, I just really, I'm really glad, like, At Midnight's just not a platform that he can use in any way, shape, or form now. Um, so I'm pretty glad about how the reaction has been to this. I did not read his apology. I imagine that it was really terrible. Um, because... Yeah. So, but how 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 is all this circulating for you? Because I admit that a lot of this I saw that Friday when I texted you about it and just go, of course this happened after. We <laughs> yeah. But then I didn't follow up on it because I've been like steadily sort of like slowly dying by inches due to a lack of sleep. Um. So how, what else? Tell me about how like this went for you this week. Well, first of all, um, I do think it's important to to stress that. While given, you know, having listened, I listened to Nerdist podcast um, back before I changed to Idiot, um, like for quite a while. And I've been vocal about how great uh, Chris Hardwick is at moderating at Comic-Con and how like terrific he is at that. And he's really good at his job. Um, Just be, you know, like just having listened to his podcast and and watching my Comic-Con, these other things, like I was not surprised despite being a fan of his work. I was like, okay, I can see threads of control and that kind of a thing. I'm not surprised by this. But even if you were completely blindsided by it, even if it was somebody who's, whose work I respected on like a much more personal level as opposed to appreciating the craft and appreciating how many people suck at moderating things, <laughs> you know, I that doesn't change anything. So the fact that it's... Because I saw a lot of um, people talking about uh, you know, like people give you vibes. I knew I didn't like that guy. I had a sense, of, you know, it's like even if you did like the guy, we would still be saying the same thing. You know, even if we had a more personal right. connection, yeah. we would still be calling him out for this bullshit and 
cutting ties. So it's important to stress that. Um, I'm very glad that he's not going to be around moderating things at Comic-Con. I immediately had talked to my sister. Especially Doctor Who, like, oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, no, I immediately <laughs> let my sister know about this when this broke, and we're like, well, we're not going to any panel that he's at, so I'm glad we don't yeah. have to worry about, like, finding all that stuff out and coordinating. Um, I'm very glad that there was a lot of strong um, supportive response. There was not nearly yeah. enough. There was a lot of shaming. There was a lot of um, bullshit, and it's very slow in like in this day and age, very slow responses from AMC and BBC America, because this is the kind of thing that, you know, we're not just at the beginning of me too. We're not just at the beginning of these things. So um, it, a day and a half is too long to wait, to pull someone accused of sexual, like sexual assault and rape from hosting the first ever female doctor panel of Doctor Who at Comic-Con. Like, that shouldn't take you a day and a half to figure that out. Even if, even, like, I don't think this is true, but even if it had been a completely made-up story, you still don't want to cloud your panel with that. So I think yeah. it it was disappointing how <laughs> slowly uh, some of the different people responded. Um, but I was appreciative of the different um, supportive like who was quick? Like I was like, is Will Wheaton said anything yet at all? Because he's very close with um, Hardwick, and uh, that people have had been asking him for a statement. So there are some people that, and again, it's I understand it's a very personal thing. It's very hits close to home and all of that, and and the desire to be not in the public eye. Um, but I also think that asking to be in the public eye through like having a close quasi personal relationship with your fan base where part of your brand is how accessible you are and how relatable you are means that it's, I don't think it's unreasonable for people to expect a response like this, you know, at least something which Felicia day, for example, posted like a tweet is saying, you know, in support of, of Chloe Dykstra. And, uh, but it was very vague. It was very like, she none like, her nerdist and geek and sundry have been doing were connected for years and like back yeah. for a long time. So she she didn't go into th- anything. She didn't get make like a public statement, but she did at least do a tweet of support for Chloe. And so like there were some people and certainly lots of toxic idiots and uh in in the, on Twitter saying a bunch of bullshit. But I was at least heartened that it might have taken a few days, but we got there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's yeah, where I'm we at. Did, which is good. Yeah, with it. Yeah. And if it, and I also loved the immediate <laughs> and like out just like outpouring of well, obviously Yvette Nicole Brown needs to take over Talking Dead, right? Like we can all yeah, like it, it was immediate and it was universal. No, it, and it's super accurate because I mean I've watched I've never watched a full episode of The Talking Dead, but I know enough <laughs> that Yvette Nicole Brown just needs to take over. Yeah. She just bring out her spiral. Like, yeah, that, that's what needs to yeah. happen. In further shitty people news, um, the one of the chief communications officers at Netflix, Jonathan Friedland, was fired uh, today as we record after he used the N-word in a meeting talking about offensive words in comedy. Like, dude, you're, you're not a special different white person who gets to use the N-word because you're so cool and you're so, like, I guess, in with 
with the black community or like you you're so woke you know and you're talking about the fact that this is an offensive word like no you aren't special don't use the n-word Ugh. and and it's and if you do it is appropriate for for a company to fire you because your job is communications yeah anyways um yeah and it's it's just i was insensitive about using it it's just like well yeah you were and that's why you got fired. So yeah. kudos for being at least self-aware enough to know that that's why you got fired. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, I want to know, because that seems like that is something that must have happened really quickly or really like recently, or it was a closed door meeting. And if if he said one offensive word, if he said the N word one time and nothing else he said or did was offensive, he was just like listing offensive words or something. I don't think that would have like, Gotten him fired. So I think there's more that we don't yeah. know, is my guess. Yeah. Anyway. That sounds accurate to me. Yeah. yeah. In in pickup and renewal and cancellation news, very sadly, <sighs> listeners, Timeless has been canceled by NBC, but we might get a two-hour movie to wrap things up, maybe, but they haven't definitely said that. They said they're considering it. Um, very sad, tears. Uh, just as it was getting really exciting and good for me. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts on Timeless? I'm sad for people who are who are excited that it got a surprise season two. Um, and so I know a lot of people were upset by this, um, I imagine. Uh, but on the upside, there was a season two, which I think was just sort of a kind of Hail Mary sort of moment mm-hmm. for the show. So it's good that it got a season two, but I'm sad that it got a season three. Because like I said last week, I think that this and Reverie would have paired really well together within a summer context for NBC. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, but what did get renewed last week, again, like right after we were recorded, uh, was Lucifer, which got resuscitated and brought back to life for season four over at Netflix. I did not anticipate that. I didn't either. I was really surprised by this. I sent it to a couple of people I know who watched it and they were, one person had stopped watching like halfway through season three and then the other person was just like very behind on it. Um, so they were excited, but yeah, I was really sort of surprised that this got picked up for season three. I was not expecting it. Um, but it also was just like, sure. Cause I don't even think it's like, is any of Lucifer even on Netflix? I'd, I'd have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea either. And so I, I don't know if it is or not. It might be, but it's, it's not in the algorithm enough that I know. And I didn't think to check, but I was just like, <laughs> Oh yeah, sure. Okay. This is yeah. where we are now. Yay for Lucifer fans. I'm very happy for you. Yeah. Um, another show I wanted to mention just because like I finally started seeing ads for it and I didn't know what it was. And now I will definitely be watching is making it, which sounds like it is basically the great British bake off, but with like for home crafters and woodworkers. But instead of Mel and Sue, we, we get, we get Ron Swanson, sorry, Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler. So I am so very here for this. It's not even funny. I'm very excited Ah. at what this show could be. And mostly I just want to spend more time with Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson. I I think that's the appeal. And it's sort of weird that this was not a show that aired while Parks and Rec was airing in (laughs) any capacity. But I imagine a number of people are very excited about it. I don't care about woodworking at all or crafting at all. So I may like check out the first episode of this, but 
it'll mostly be for Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler like riffing the for an hour and making what I'm sure is a number of wood jokes. <laughs> oh, so many. Listen, the thing is, like, it's so perfect. Like, I, I, I could see if it comes together, this could, this could be the first American adaptation of the Great British Bake Off that actually works. Because <laughs> that's not even about baking. It's not even about baking. Like, and I've. But even the set feels like it's a, from Great British Bake Off. Oh, it is, is directly it's... lifted. Those different workspaces, yeah. and I think it's even pastel mm-hmm. on the bottom too. Like, yeah, it's exactly yeah. lifted from there. But the, I mean, I've watched every American attempt to recapture the magic of the Great British Bake Off, and uh, from the Foxworthy adaptation, like all the way through to the mo- most recent ones, and none of them work. And the big reason they don't work is because they don't have the right hosts and uh they don't have um the time frame that the bake-off uses which is like a full week to recover and then three days of filming so i don't know how that's going to go for making it but i am certainly very intrigued and we'll be watching you know what else i'm gonna be watching Noel? i'm very excited about this what are you gonna be watching I'm going to be watching the third series of The Great British Bake Off again, but I'll be watching it as season five of The Great British Baking Show, which premieres tonight as we record because I get to review it for the AV Club. So y'all can read my week-to-week recaps and reviews of The Great British Baking Show season five or The Great British Bake Off season three when it aired several years ago in the UK at the AV Club every Saturday morning. They're held until Saturday mornings. But I think it's a lovely have like your coffee and sit down and read yeah. about delightful pastries and English countrysides and lots of heartwarming things. Um, yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. So I'm very excited for you. I I'm so excited. I'm very excited. It was a contentious pitch session. I'm sure. I do not envy the the people the editors who are like trying to pick who was they were gonna. Have cover it because I know a lot of people pitched and we all love the show and we all have very good claims. So I have to make sure I deliver. I will do my best, listeners. You know I will. Um, I wrote an article and I was on public radio about it. I'm the expert is exactly what Kate's pitch was. (laughs) I did not say that. I I did say I bake a lot of Christmas cookies. I did. I did. I did (laughs) say that card. Anyway. Um, in other TV pickup news, uh, The Connors has indeed been picked up by ABC for 10 episodes. That's the Roseanne spinoff without Roseanne. Do we know anything about that? Are they going to kill off Roseanne or do we know? They have not said. The only premise is this is just like, it's going to basically be what we thought Roseanne was going to be. Is that They'll tackle <laughs> issues like dating and parenting and lifestyle choices in today's modern America and working class America. And it's just like, but that's just the description for what we thought Roseanne was going to be until you bought it back and it turned out to be really terrible. Um, so who I legitimately think that this is just going to be the Darlene show um, that, again, Sarah Gilbert just couldn't get off the ground originally and then restructured as a Roseanne revival. Um, but yeah, we don't know anything else about it aside from the fact that like they kept the cat, they kept the crew, they kept the cast. Um, Roseanne Barr has absolutely no financial, uh, stake in this spinoff. Um, since the only character she technically created for the show was Roseanne Connor. Uh, so if you want to keep living with these characters, you can, but feel icky about Roseanne Barr's involvement, you can watch it safely because she has no financial stake in the show. Yes, which is, you know, something that I know 
I'm thinking about with my viewing and like what gets my viewing, what yeah. gets my time, what gets my eyes and my wallet. So I'm sure there will be other people who if if they knew she had a financial stake, they still wouldn't watch. But maybe they will now. Well, it was a big it was a reportedly a big thing for ABC in general that bar not have any sort of financial stake in the show whatsoever uh, that was going forward, which ended up being like one of the reasons why the contract negotiations were uh, prolonged enough that it was like figuring this out and getting it all pulled together. Um, so that was a large thing. I think most of the cast is coming back, though, because they mentioned like the pregnancy. So I'm assuming they're continuing a number of storylines, but how they're going to write out Roseanne Connor is going to be really interesting. Yeah, we'll see. We'll find out, I imagine, um, even if we don't watch. <laughs> yeah, for sure that premiere is going to be watched the hell out of. <laughs> yes. Yes, it will. That is definitely going to happen. Another show that got renewed or picked up, which we kind of expected, but officially came down the line uh, pipeline this week, was The Terror Season 2. And they have a new showrunner, Alexander Wu, who co-created the the second season with um, another person whose name I don't have in front of me, unfortunately, who is serving as the EP. Uh, But... Like, I was going to watch The Terror Season 2 anyways. We had talked about, like, what could it be set in? Like, what thing could they do that would feel, like, inappropriate with, like, the historical setting and everything and the mystery of The Terror Season 1, but would address some of the issues of having basically an all-male cast in Season 1, basically an all-white cast, some of these other things where other we had trouble thinking of other times. I never would have thought of this. But I'm so happy they did. They're setting it in an internment camp centered around a Japanese-American, mostly primarily Japanese-American cast of characters um, during World War II. And, like, majority Asian or Asian-American cast. And I, again, I just will repeat, I never would have thought of this, but I'm so here for this. Yeah, I am too. Like, that entire concept is great. And also, it's just ridiculously timely considering everything right now considering our current (laughs) internment camps yes (laughs) yeah um so yeah and so this idea that they're going to do like some sort of like um haunted internment camp i think um supernatural creature or something um or is is that what they've said are they doing like an uncanny specter who that could be so many things and i yeah, I, it's a brilliant idea, and I really, I mean, there's so much potential here. I really hope it lives yeah. up to it. Um, and I, it does feel, it feels similar and different enough that 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 it will feel of a piece without hopefully having the weight of being compared to the first season. And the fact that it's uh-huh. based on a historical event in America, meaning World War II and the in- internment of Japanese Americans, but not a specific one event incident instance yeah. yeah i think that helps so that it, it it still will feel historical it still will feel very specific it is very very specific topic but that gives them more freedom to to engage with the whatever the terror like supernatural yeah. terror i should say because there's plenty of non-supernatural yeah, terror. <laughs> But that should give them more freedom. So I'm looking forward to it. I am also like very excited about this. And I think that it's, 
it's everything that you just said. Like it allows them probably like a wider range of creative freedom, but it also allows them to engage in, say, sort of Japanese uh, folklore regarding ghosts and spirits, which is a very rich sort of material for them to explore if they decide to go that option, or if they decide to incorporate other aspects of it, particularly like there's room to do like Native American sort of stuff Mm -hmm. in this context, which I think is really interesting. Um, So I think that this is really ripe for discussing a supernatural aspect, but also exploring this particular aspect of American history that hasn't been heavily depicted within American media as well. So I think it's really exciting that this is what they're going to do for their second season and that they're going to be hopefully really dedicated to depicting the entirety of this experience, which is monumental and underappreciated i think sometimes within sort of our consciousness of american history yeah um and for very different but more japanese american internment tv check out this week's history this week's episode of drunk history where randall park talked about uh interned japanese americans uh protesting the draft so uh that very different but i'm glad again more visibility for a very important topic and a very important part of our history a very important and very shameful part of our american history Uh, on a similar but very different note um also renewed or picked up this week was little america which is going to be an anthology series from Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon. Oscar uh, winning? Nominated. Nominated. Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon. Uh, this is going to be a, an immigrant story. So each season will be a new immigrant story. And it's based um, on, on previous materials, I recall. But I'm like, they announced this and I was just like, I'm there. I'm there for either or both of them. I'm there for the topic and I'm there for it being an anthology series. This is all very, very happy. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a second. Am I actually interested and or excited about Apple TV? Because you are. I wasn't. But then we had the Sarah Bareilles musical thing with J.J. Abrams that I'm like kind of excited about. Um, I, apparently there's a new animated musical comedy coming from Lauren Bouchard and Nora Smith of Bob's Burgers. That's going to have Josh Gad, Kristen Bell, Titus Burgess, Stanley Tucci, Leslie Odom Jr., David Dix, and Catherine Hahn. That's a really great cast. They're doing mm-hmm. um, that Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston like morning talk show like drama thing. And they're, do- they're, they're doing that Emily Dickinson comedy with Haley Steinfeld. Like they're doing a bunch of really interesting shows. They are. It's just, it's, you, now you just have to get one more streaming platform, Kate. And I know you were already <laughs> no. budgeting for DC All Access or DC Universe or whatever that was so you could watch Young Justice. Yeah. Yeah. As a classical <laughs> musician, I have the spare money for that. You totally do. I know you make big bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, anyways, I am, ex- I'm just going to focus on the positive. So I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about most of these pickups. Very sad about time was getting canceled. Um, any other news you wanted to, to chat about? Or is it time to finally, after long last, over half an hour here, get into our week in TV? <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. At the end of the show, we will be talking about Queer Eye Season 2, which dropped last week on Netflix. Um, so we'll have a, a somewhat truncated, but still deep dive on that season two. But first, we have a full week in TV, so we will take a break and come back with our week in comedy and reality. Oh! Oh! 
In comedy and reality, we're going to talk a bit about the finale of White Snacks Problem Areas, season one uh, teacher problems, burial problems, collaborative problems. Then we'll move over to DuckTales. I still like, I sing out loud with such glee every week. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to hear you say this title. Oh, yeah. Jaws, like Jaws, dollar sign ass. I don't know. How, how would you pronounce it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's why you do this part and I do not. Judge Ching! <laughs> I don't know. Yes. That is acceptable. Like, I think you just say the word Jaws and you you fold in a cha-ching sound over the S or something. Um, with an exclamation point, of course. So, anyways, DuckTales. Then I'm going to talk very briefly about So You Think You Can Dance uh, Season 15, which is three episodes into its auditions. And we'll go over to RuPaul's Drag Race, um, last week's episode American, and this week's episode Queens Reunited. So, first up is White Snacks Problem Areas, which had its finale. I'm very glad it's coming up for Season 2. Um, how did you feel about this episode? And 3. And 3. Oh, I didn't know that thank you yeah 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 they got us they got a two season pick great great um what did you think of this episode and the season as a whole i really like this show a lot kate um as we sort of discussed like it benefits from Sinak's very dry sort of delivery um overall but he also makes for a really smart presenter and interviewer i think in a lot of instances uh which is i think something that comes from his time on the daily show but also just his sort of general demeanor and persona lends itself to this kind of a discussion sort of format but then also like the wider discussion of him bouncing off pre-recorded experts to avoid that whole talking head yelling at each other kind of format that you and i also discussed when we discussed the show a little bit also lends itself to providing a very different kind of uh, presentation of uh, policing, but also a different sort of representation of that kind of a concept within this wider view. So it's well-researched, but individualized um, to whatever particular topic and then whatever location they're using to highlight this particular facet of... Facet? Facet of policing. So... I really, really like the show. I'm glad it's coming back for two seasons. Um, and I, I, I just, I think everyone should be cremated. So burial problems is not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I thought it was a good finale, particularly. It did a good job. Of, yeah. It was very, there wasn't as much um, er, new material. But they made a very clear yes. uh, effort to draw together the threads of the various episodes and to sort of present a thesis statement as much as they were interested in uh, doing that for the season as a whole. Uh, I thought they're, you know, like I, I was watching this. Uh, I, I showed some of this to my mom uh, who substitute teaches. Oh, nice. Just because of the beginnings. Like 
I'm not talking about your shitty kid. Your kid's great. I'm definitely talking about their shitty, shitty kid, um, I, which I thought she would appreciate, and she did, as did I. <laughs> um, but um, and so then, but we ended up watching the whole thing, and uh, it was a good. It ended up sort of being a good primer because she hadn't seen any other episodes of the show, and I, I feel like if if you are trying to get somebody on board and um, you're less you're not sure you're going to be able to get like maybe the topic like it's a show that discusses various aspects and elements of the impact of police brutality and other things that you know that feed into causing this problem in our country if that's if you're trying to get somebody to watch it who's going to run away from that um or is not looking for something as heavy maybe this finale could actually be a good gateway episode what do you think right no, I think you're absolutely correct. I think that the finale, because of its emphasis on that, ultimately, like, the answer that the show presents, as much as it is an answer, because the show acknowledges the fact that there's no real way to answer or solve this particular problem, but that the way of solving it starts here with a community, with a collaborative approach to dealing with it as you said, represents basically a thesis statement at the end of presenting all of these particular sorts of issues. And even when you go through the other a number of the other episodes that precede this, the emphasis is largely on how a community responds to this, how they and it deals with policing. And I think that that's, that has been a significance that the show hasn't necessarily in any way like spotlighted until this episode, but it's always been a present aspect of a number of things, particularly like within the community policing episode, which is I think one of the stronger of the profiles that they did. But I think that this provides, would honestly provide like the best sort of introduction to the program than literally any other episode. And I find that really fascinating, but also wonderfully self-aware for a show where people can just sort of like watch it now all at once if they have like an HBO streaming platform or any sort of HBO on demand. They can just pick and choose. So if you're coming around, you didn't watch any of this program before. First of all, shame on you. Second, now basically start at the end and then just go back to the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. And and like you said, uh, Snack does a terrific job as presenter. The whole season, I think, is strong. They do. Uh, like, yeah. it's not like it. There are certain episodes that really stand out above the others. It's, they're all pretty, pretty much successful. And it's just a matter of which topics hit a little closer to home for you or more of interest mm-hmm. or maybe are ones that are, are less uh, familiar to you. Um, but yeah, it's a strong first season and it's one I think a lot of people are sleeping on. I think so too. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's on Friday nights. So it's in a weird sort of press cycle situation where literally every press outlet isn't going to do white snack destroyed xyz like they do with john oliver and last week's night of like he took down china this week and this is like first of all no he just presented a number of information about china that anyone who's semi well informed about china is vaguely aware of but two it's like this is a little more it's not more investigative or more essayist in the way that last week tonight is but 
the sort of weekly emphasis on this particular makes the show feel a lot more unified, I think. And again, like we discussed last time, the three-act structure of the show from a quick editorial to a weird sort of joking sort of middle section of like, this is a thing and we're going to give it kind of an eccentric weird sort of spin on it to discuss this and then we go into this much larger investigative thing to take up the second half of the episode i think works really well and it provides a almost a more far-ranging discussion than an 18-minute discussion or an 18-minute monologue from oliver provides and i think that that's really compelling and i think it's I think it's something that, again, because it's on Friday nights when websites don't typically think people are looking at things on Saturdays because it's the weekend, mm-hmm. that it's not getting the amount of play that it should, apart, and it's not getting the attention it probably should because it's on Fridays and it's not going to get as clicked. But it's very good. It's very smart. And it's also, like, legitimately very funny in a lot of places, which is really sly how they're able to work in humor very, very quickly in a number of ways from either browsing <laughs> made-up encyclopedias or the joke that you said about, I'm definitely talking about their kid, is really, really good. And it goes back to that dry delivery that Snack is very good at delivering. Yeah. he's it, I, It's hard to think of somebody else better at that type of just really deadpan delivery me but (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough so yeah listeners if you check this out let us know uh because again i don't know anyone besides you noel who has seen this yeah um and i would like Mm -hmm. to think we aren't the only two so please do reach out um next up is ducktales and jaws or whatever i don't know but um (laughs) We had to mention this one because I recently read them the Riot Act because they definitely listen to this podcast and care what I think. Yeah, and this episode was immediately produced hereafter somehow very quickly and not produced like six months ago. (laughs) Yeah, no, they've used the time turner and they fixed it. Um, But so this was a very lady-centric episode of DuckTales and uh, it also was a much, much more interesting (laughs) episode of DuckTales and I don't think that's a coincidence because I think that the the very few female characters they've introduced are more interesting and compelling (laughs) than the male characters they've introduced. So then... Just if you give if you center an episode on Lena, it's gonna be more interesting than an episode centered on Dewey, for example. Um, so this one we get a lot of uh Lena, we get a lot of Magica, which of course with the Doctor Who connection, you know I love Catherine Tate being the villain for Scrooge McDuck. She's so good. She's so good. <laughs> uh and this one, you know, like it was a good balance of dread and comedy and uh and feels. With the friendship bracelets and all that, I thought there was enough uh, tidbits connecting to the mythology that we could connect with and uh, still feel for Lena as she was making various decisions and still buy her choice at the end of the episode or her belief that she doesn't have a choice when we all know that if she just talked to Webby, it would be fine, but... She doesn't know that, and I think they sold us on that. And I think just, like, the effects, like, the design of of the, I think, what was the name? Like, Beatrice or something? I don't remember the name of the the shark. 
It had a name, Victoria. The I Money know. Shark. Yeah, they yeah. had they had a name for it, but it's the Money Shark. The Money Shark was was great, and in, in like the sounds from within the belly of the beast, it was like, oh hi, Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> it was pretty great. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with this episode, and I'm really glad that DuckTales is back week to week, um, at least through July. Oh, that's great news. And yeah, I think this is probably one of their stronger episodes in a while for a the reasons you enumerated is like it's got webby it's got lena but it also has like a really solid balance of everything that the show has demonstrated that it does really well and even to like the continuation of sort of like bizarre inside jokes of yes dewey's brothers from launchpad is just like <laughs> so very funny it's just like i remember his name and no one else's and just like this is very good but the connections between uh, Webby and Lena really elevate a lot of material here, like you said. So the friendship bracelets is one of those sorts of, oh, Webby has a friend. She's so excited to have a friend that she's going through all the friendship stuff, including a sleepover mm-hmm. and this kind of stuff. And it's just like she's going to do all of it correctly in her very Webby sort of way that is delightful and fun even to the point where the boys are just like why did we pick a fight with her (laughs) (laughs) good times so i think i think that the show like at least within this episode acknowledges it and also i i appreciated sort of the continuation of from the scrooge party episode of scrooge's weird relationship with the (laughs) town of duckburg of like He's suddenly on the spot with the press, and the press is just like, you're terrible, and now here's your arch nemesis to explain why you're terrible, and also the money shark has legs now, and it's just like, this is very good, and David Tennant's vocal performance in this episode, I feel like, is probably the best it's been all season. Yeah. He's very good. He's very funny. The, yeah. the the material they give to the journalist, I thought, was really fun. The ridiculous uh, disguise for um, what's his name? Yeah, yes, is terrific. It's it's just it's fun and it's well paced and it's it's just enough. Mm-hmm. Um, like they they make Magicka really powerful here, but with very clear constraints, and and that's the kind of smart writing that yeah. you need in a show, like in any show, but specifically in a genre show to to con- connect to and feel any threat or dread from a serious like season long or series long antagonist so yeah they're doing a good job when they go to this stuff so hopefully we'll get more of this yes yeah hopefully and we don't drop it for like what feels like an eternity yeah like we did this past month (laughs) yeah we'll see we'll see uh next up is so you think you can dance and i caught up with these uh first three episodes and a big part of that was because the auditions episodes this year are just one hour not two so i it's assumed they were two oh wow that's that's yeah it's very it's very it makes a big difference um and so that's why i wasn't really rushing to it also i heard through grapevine that actually last season was really good again i jumped off Mm -hmm. i jumped ship when they did like the so you think you can dance kids season i was like no um so I remember that, yeah. <laughs> After hearing that, apparently last season was really good. I jumped back on board. I watched the first episode, and Laganja Estranja is on this season, and no one told me. And Noel, this is clearly a personal failing. Listeners, if you don't watch RuPaul's Drag Race, then you don't know that Laganja Estranja is a drag queen who was really irritating um, from the Adore Delano season six, the Bianca season. Of of Drag Race. Oh, then I did watch that season, but I do not remember Laganja at all. Giant pink wig. I feel very attacked right now. 
That is Laganja Straja. If you watch some clips, you would okay. you'd be like, oh, that queen. But apparently, uh, I think I think his name is Jay, is like yeah. a, like lifelong dancer. He's been trained, uh, has lots of background in dance. Um, and so he came on and, and as Laganja, she she did her audition and it wasn't great. But it was entertaining and it was fun. It was very uh, playing into the current uh, upswing in popularity in the mainstream, especially the young and white and tween female audience for this show, fan base for the show. It, like, so there's lots of tongue pops and some all that stuff um, is very big mm-hmm. over the top. But but um, but you know, Laganja, like he did a good job uh, in his audition. It was solid. Did did he deserve to go straight on to Academy? No. But he's really entertaining. And so they're letting him go to the next round. And he says that he can do act more like mainstream dance stuff. And we'll find out. Um, so I, I there were some really amazing, really incredible dances uh, in, in these audition episodes, as there always are. And uh, again, the streamlined only an hour thing helped. There was um, some really terrific hip hop and some some really terrific uh uh latin dancers and uh a couple contemporary just like it just it, i it, i'm i'm back on board like low level and my list of viewing priorities but back on board i don't really know how the academy works because that i haven't really been watching those seasons so i guess i'll find out but i certainly again like i said clearly i have not been vocal enough here on the televerse Listeners, if people from Drag Race are on other TV shows, I want you to tell me. There, that's all. PSA. That's all I have to say about So You Think You Can Dance. Let's move on to Drag Race. And we're going to talk here about last week's episode, American, and the re- the reunion episode, Queens Reunited. I don't have much to say about American other than it's disappointing they didn't uh, they didn't send home Cameron, but I guess they needed to have four queens for their finale. It just felt like a very much a filler episode that had a really difficult challenge but they weren't going to send anyone home so i guess we just watched them do a hard thing to watch them do a hard thing um yeah i think that's what happened (laughs) yeah mostly aquaria just like slayed it was like the the let's make the case for aquaria to win episode because like damn those dance moves yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think the episode definitely feels like that in a lot of ways. And otherwise, it's just, it's kind of deeply forgettable. And like you and I had discussed, it was just like, this was the time for Cameron to go home. But then we wouldn't have gotten all that juicy stuff in Queens Reunited if Cameron wasn't there and in the finale. Mm-hmm. And so that would have been very disappointing. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fine, but I wasn't exactly great about it. Um, so it was just like, meh, type of an episode. Luckily, like the reunion episode, which is normally something I kind of tend to skip, Mm -hmm. um, because it's just like, I don't, I don't really need a rehashing of this. I'm glad I didn't skip the reunion episode. Yeah. Yeah, the eyes got big, <laughs> listeners. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna just come out 100% team vixen on this on this uh, uh, reunion episode because I very specifically remember each moment that the vixen was calling back to, and she was right. That's what happened. So like in the Aquaria Miss Cracker stirring up drama thing, 
what 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 the vixen said in this reunion of well Aquaria and Monet were talking about this whole thing with Cracker. I remember that happening, and and that leading vixen to understand or believe that this was the like this was a known thing in New York that these two New York queens were commenting on, and vixen thinking that was bullshit and bringing it up later. Uh, and so when when Monet's like I never says like yeah Monet you did. You did say that. And you said it, you didn't say it in the shittiest of ways, but you said it in a, like, in a straightforward enough way that it was a reasonable misunderstanding for the vixen. And when, um, like, it, when Ruth, like, when vixen says, I didn't start any fights, the vixen didn't start any fights. She didn't, like, she, she escalated fights. She didn't respond in a mature way all the time, but she never started the fights. And so when she, decided or I, I mean I sh- yeah when when she decided to leave I actually respected her for for that choice like I don't think it was the best choice but she looked at her options and as Asia said her options were fight more and get yelled at and get you get like talked over or leave because she looked up in, inward and knew that she was not going to be able to calm down and take a breath and co- recollect herself and if she's not able to do that, then I think it's actually the mature response to say, okay, here's what I came here to do. Thank you to my fans, but I need to leave. And I just think the, uh, like, they, they specifically referenced Aquaria doing that, and they didn't give Aquaria a hard time for doing that. They said, Aquaria said, you know what, I wasn't able to process it then, so I needed some to leave because I needed some space. And it's they didn't. They didn't have a problem with Aquaria doing that, but when Vixen did the exact same thing, all of a sudden, Ru- RuPaul is so offended, and I think just, like, the lack of deference is really what offended him. <laughs> and he did not come off well, in my opinion. I don't know. What, what's your take on all of this? I agree that uh, the Vixen makes the correct choice, in part because by getting more worked up within the situation, it plays into the discussion that she had about the editing about the representational issues and that there was no way around it. And that to a certain degree, she was getting boxed into that by how this was playing out. And that wasn't good by any stretch of the imagination. It wasn't a good look for the show. And like you said, it wasn't a good, particularly good look for RuPaul either. And so like Asia coming to her defense was like deeply emotional and deeply lovely and also deeply brave like i mean this asia's basically calling out this whole sort of setup discussion and standing up to rupaul in her house as ru emphasizes when ru's responding and that's that takes a great deal of courage within this kind of a situation to do that and so the entire setup for this is just really there feels like there's not a good way out for anyone really in this situation. So the Vixen's decision to just walk away, I think is probably the smartest particular type of choice because there's, there's no way to come off better in that situation because it was very clear that the narrative had been decided without her and that that was going to be what was going to stick regardless. So leaving how she did and not making the decision to not come back. And also, as Asia said, their decision not to go after her, I think, 
validates a lot of that kind of stuff. So I think that that's really key to all of this. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was it made for very good television, but it also like demonstrated what happens when reality shows do a narrative and not everyone is on board with that narrative. Yeah. Well, think about the other examples we have of queens leaving. Right? We the examples we have are Adore Delano leaving All-Stars 2 and Michelle and the camera followed her, gave her a hug and tried to convince her to stay and then when she said no, I do, I I need to go. Gave her a big hug, expressed warmth and regard and then like there were plenty of queens who reacted negatively and like you're wasting this opportunity that so many people would love to have that's disrespectful and you know like she got read by other queens but nobody nobody uh said it was disrespectful nobody took like nobody started yelling at, about her or at her um and then the other one we have is bendela creme and again walked away just took removed himself from the competition because he didn't want to play the game anymore but just did it in a much more tearful way. And so, therefore, it's, again, something that's rewarded and applauded and treated with kindness and respect, at least while the cameras are on, by Rue. Rue didn't yell at Ben. Rue didn't, Rue didn't, didn't say, you're disrespecting me. You're pulling one over on me. You're making me look bad. You're making the whole show, this whole season, look bad. Even though there were lots of people who were pretty confident that's what Rue was thinking based on other things. Um, but when the vixen refuses to engage with being forced into a villain edit that she did not earn. Like, if anything, Eureka should have earned a vixen, a, a villain edit for that. You know, like Aquaria and yeah. Miss Cracker specifically like discussed how they were going to avoid how they were going to fix their narrative so that they wouldn't get this two enemy like thing narrative all season. And Eureka came up to the Vixens like, how are we going to fix our narrative? You know, like, and that's not treated as fake or bad, but the Vixen somehow is. So, yeah, I thought that Rue yeah. looked real bad. Yeah, and just, like, the degree to which Rue gets really angry about it comes off as, like you said, just really weird. And, yeah, it, 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 was, it was weirdly uncomfortable as, like, an audience member. It was difficult to get a feed on how everyone else in that stage was feeling, apart from Asia, who was just, like, doing, like, the Lord's work, basically, in trying to hash out what this is and what this means is like a community and this sort of intrafighting within the, this very particular subset of the community. Um, it was just, it was really powerful. And that's what I kind of kept circling back to was less that it was a bad look for Rue, even though it is, and how really good of a look it was for Asia. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you have any thoughts on the the rest of the episode? And like, how about how about Dusty and those fabulous reads? Because didn't Dusty get eliminated right before the the library? Yeah, I think Dusty got eliminated like an episode or two before the library, and so Dusty's reads were very good. I was glad that Dusty had the dots because yeah. it was just like, yeah, Michelle's not here. Let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was really happy about that. Um, but I, I did enjoy sort of the discussion regarding cameras and persona 
and how all of that played out and the fact that when it's just like going around the circle of like, all right, so who should win? And Cameron gets nothing. And like, I like Cameron's drag a whole lot, but it's also very much sort of an image competition as much as anything. And especially when you have like this degree of fan input that it just, it's very apparent. And plus all the cutting back to Cameron's reactions of, oh, if I was playing a strategy, maybe this backfired. And also, Cameron, please don't play this. I'm not a professional. It's just like, oh, sweetie, honey, no. <laughs> You're too no. good. Yeah. That doesn't, <laughs> You're way too good. That's a bunch of BS. <laughs> well, and like, it is just it's so, it's very, it's a very manipulated pr- image of herself that she's put out there. She's very carefully and specifically yeah. monitoring how she's producing herself. And she's yeah. and we've seen in the last couple of episodes, she's kind of let that slide a little bit. And we're seeing more of the real yeah. her, which matches, as they were saying, who she is on social media and who she is on her live show. And so this Cameron is completely fake. <laughs> this is not at all the real Cameron. And so when she's trying to claim that she's just shy and people just gang up on her because she's shy. It's like, you're not shy on Instagram. You're not shy. like, And and she's not in drag necessarily on Instagram either. So it's not like a in drag, out drag. It's a very specifically designed TV version of yourself that you're going for. And they're calling you out for being fake. And when you say, I think I'm nice to you guys, I think I say hi. And like, all the queens react. Did you see the little thing with Vanjie and Monet in the background? Yeah. Yeah. Then, mm-hmm. then, okay. I'm sorry to tell you, if you say you're nice to your fellow queens and they all say you're not, you're yeah. not. Yeah. That's what that boils down to. So. I also was enjoying the Cameron reads. Indeed. <laughs> Who do you think, does this affect your thoughts of who's going to win? <sighs> mm. I I do feel like that, like, it's weird that, for me anyway, that Aquaria is, like, generally pretty quiet during this entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that I feel like that was maybe a choice, depending on, like, what Aquarius' particular game is. Um, I do think that it basically torpedoes... I think that Cameron was torpedoed anyway, yeah. but this definitely sort of, like, locks it down that Cameron is not getting anywhere in this. Um... As good as a lip syncer as Cameron is, because Cameron is very good, uh, I think. But it's just like, there's no way. For me, I really do legitimately feel like it's between Asia and Eureka. Um, And I would like it to be Asia. Um, But I feel like it's probably going to be Eureka or Aquaria. But that's just how I'm leaning in terms of like what's going to happen. But I want it to be Asia. Uh, What about you? Uh, I think it should be Aquaria. With a mm-hmm. strong second to Asia. Um, it's not going to be Cameron, I don't think. And especially after this episode. And No, Cameron's Cameron's done. I think after this episode, it's also not going to be Asia. Because Rue doesn't like to be challenged. Rue doesn't like anyone who's not deferential. So I don't think Rue is going to crown Asia after this. And also after the response. Because I don't know if you were on Twitter, man. But <laughs> Twitter in general... There are lots of strong opinions, but Twitter in general was Team Asia, and they thought Rue was out of line, yeah. and they were supporting the Vixen too. So Rue's not going to like that, and Rue's not going to give it to Asia, I don't think. So that makes me hope it goes to Aquaria. Hope it doesn't go to Eureka, but maybe it will. Yeah. 
Yeah, if it's not going to Asia, Aquaria is an acceptable second for me. Um, but I'd, I'd much rather go to Asia. Yeah. Well, we will have more thoughts on this next week, listeners, after we have seen the finale and the big, uh, you know, lip sync smackdown. How did they show all those lip sync clips and not show that amazing celebrity skin lip sync with Mayhem crushing it? Vanjie, man. Vanjie. Vanjie. Indeed. Well, what wins your week in comedy and reality? Mm, that's a good question, Kate. I don't... I'm looking at the thing. I think I'm going to go with Jaws Cha-Ching mm-hmm. um, <laughs> as my winner. But I think overall sort of like season achievement goes to problem areas. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to give it to problem areas because this is the last chance to give it to them until next season. Yeah. Um, I did really uh, engage with and enjoy not only the episode, but the discussion afterwards on online for Drag Race this week. Um, but but I'm going to give it to problem areas. So that will wrap up our week in comedy reality. Now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre. This week in genre, I'm going to talk very briefly about Luke Cage season two, and then we'll move right on to the Supergirl finale, Battles Lost in One. I'll talk briefly about the Into the Badlands mid-season finale, Chamber of Shadows, and we'll round things out with Marvel's Cloak and Dagger call response. So first up is Luke Cage. Uh, I have a, a season review of of this one spoiler free and also kind of a check-in with cloak and dagger over at consequence of sound. So you guys can find some of my thoughts over there, but it's a strong season two. Uh, I've, I've seen about half of the season so far and we'll have more on this next week. Once we've had a chance to really catch up and dive in. Uh, I thought the first couple were a little, a little on the weaker side, but then after that, it really gained steam. And by the third episode, I was super on board. There's some terrific Rosario Dawson stuff in the third episode. And, um, yeah, and and I think their pa- the pacing is good. It it doesn't really fall into the Netflix too many episodes thing, where there's that big like drop in the middle. Um, so yeah, the the, the villain the new villains are are really good. The um the continuing characters are developed in a good way, and I feel like they balance Luke nicely. Um, for his role in the season, it's not really he's obviously the protagonist, but it's not about him. In the way that the first season was, like exploring his past or these other, you know, like he is, has, he's on a journey of uh, examination, self-examination around his relationship with his father and some of his anger. Uh, but it's much more, the the new material is much more digging into Black Mariah, which I mean, when you've got Alfred Woodard, come on. <laughs> so uh, there, there's a lot of really great stuff. And we'll talk more about Luke Cage 
Um, next week, do you have any questions about Luke Cage? Any thoughts, concerns, questions? No, I read your review at Consequence of Sound, and it it was very well written. And you're welcome. And I, based on what I've heard, you everyone sounds fairly in agreement that this season's pretty strong, at least based on the first six. And mm-hmm. that's really reassuring. A number of people mentioned the Mariah and Bushwhacker. That's that's the um, new villain. Uh, Bushmaster, yes. Bushmaster, right. That comes into town. And that sounds very exciting as well. So like you said, it's just like you've got Alfred Woodard. You give her stuff to do. Um, and I was disappointed with your mention about the romance between Shades and Black Mariah. But that's that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. It, I can it, live. It's, it's, like, <laughs> it really doesn't work for me at all. I'm like, how are two such charismatic and attractive and sexy people? Like, I get nothing when they're on screen together, when they're supposed to be, like, you know, hot and heavy. Like, I just, not, nothing. But I, I, the few people I've talked to who've seen, uh, who had also had the screeners, who have, or who have already watched so much of it um, as we mm-hmm. record here, I don't, they didn't mention that. So that might just be a me thing. Yeah. You know, the screeners. That's okay. As you know, screeners sometimes like freeze and like shudder and stuff. So, like, maybe that was messing up my viewing experience when I watched the Netflix. And the Netflix screeners do do that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So so maybe when I watch the second half of the season, I'll be like, Kate, you were crazy. They're dynamite. <laughs> but, you know, we'll see. Yeah. We'll talk about we'll it next see. week. Yeah. Yeah. We had the Supergirl finale, Battles Lost and Won. Um, and this was the finale that was, <laughs> I just saw people, because <laughs> I didn't watch it the night it aired. Um, but then I saw people talking the next day about, oh, they finally gave us the Supergirl we want. I was like, oh, I guess I better watch that pretty quick. And I thought it was fine. Uh, I'm so glad. I am so very glad that I've been wrong in my expectations all season that they were going to so kill off um, Sam. Yeah, this this entire episode felt sort of like a we're gonna upend Kate Colzek's expectations the entire time. <laughs> I, um, I was down with it, man. I was so happy. Yeah, yeah I was, and it was also a lot of. I really do feel like that this show is wanting to engage in a big transition in season four, given literally everything. <laughs> this week um so i do think that the episode is fine i think that as a finale it falls generally sort of flat because so much of this rain plot and this new krypton plot a felt ended up feeling really dragged out b got weirdly impersonal by the end and c Ended up just being a rehash of the previous two seasons. Like, I'm very tired of aliens coming to Earth wanting to reclaim this planet to be new Krypton or new Daxum. And I don't quite remember, no, Genesis of, like, remaking the Earth into something else. And it's just like, I think that the answer, DEO, is just to destroy the planet to stop all this from happening. You've just got to burn the house down to save everyone. And that's what... Alex needs to do next season to stop all of this from happening again. (laughs) But I do really feel like that, I think in the production break, that the production stoppage that they took, they just kind of went, okay, we have to get to a point where we're going to have maybe not a totally reduced role for Jean, but a reduced role for Jean. We have to get rid of Jeremy Jordan and Chris Pine is done. Uh, Not Chris Pine, Chris Wood. You can understand my mistake there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't necessarily buy the whole, Chris Wood was only supposed to be here for two seasons, and we felt like we did a really good job with sending him off. It's just like, 
bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, a massive rejiggering of the show, including that whole, I felt like I've done a really... I've I've been really torn about my my identity between Carol Danvers and Carol Zorrell, and it's just like, um, no show, don't don't sell me on that because she hasn't been Kara Danvers basically for the entirety of this second half of this season at all. So yeah, so it's fine. It's got like lots of solid action. The timey wimey solution to it is kind of a whatever kind of thing, but. And the, again, this whole play towards we're going to make Lena sort of like the villain next season in juxtaposed against whatever non non uh, bizarro Supergirl doppelganger that we've got wandering around in Siberia. Um, it just feels like a big rejiggering and transition sort of finale. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see what they're going to do at the beginning of season four. But sort of like with The Flash, a lot of my excitement for this show has quelled a lot. Yeah. The uh, yeah, I, I buy that Jeremy Jordan was like, I want to go do a promo show, guys. Write yeah. me off. I, like, yeah, I totally buy that. Yeah, um, that and I get. Because he's I, just not getting anything to play. <laughs> yeah. At all. Though, you know what the most affecting part of that episode was? It was not when Kara's mom died and she didn't care. It was not when Monel left the second time and it was nowhere near as affecting as when he left the first time. It was not, uh, really, it was not even, uh, when Jean's father died. That was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it was when Alex went and gave Wig, win a big old hug. Like, mm-hmm. And it was that was lovely, and the win goodbye scene was just absolutely um, appropriately emotional and heartfelt for the character and for the show, and for the best version of the show. Mm-hmm. That like that kind of stuff. That's what the show is great at. Like uh, Kara and 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 Alex on the couch, you know, ha- having had too much pizza is what yeah. the show is really good at. Uh, Lena ominously studying uh, another material that she has lied about returning is in calling Miss Tessmacher. That is not what the show is best at. That is completely uninteresting. Um, But a heartfelt goodbye to Wynn, um, a a new page for Jean as he, you know something's going to happen where he's going to find out more about the lost history of his people or else they wouldn't have thrown in that thing with the first Martian. Correct. But, um, like that that is the show at its best so uh it was so very very odd like just so many of the choices they made after they came back from this break are stupid and don't make any sense and like the just introducing argo the way that they did stupid and didn't make sense um it, it just was necessary to get them where they wanted the season to end i guess but like, why do you bring back her mother and have her mother just hop to Earth with no way to get home and back. Who's in charge on Argo? Half the well, council is in- gone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and like she didn't have a way back to there from Earth, but she's like, let's just go. And then she leaves like, oh, you're going to stay here? I'm going to miss you, person. Like, that, like, I don't believe it for a second. It's like, at least try and pretend that there should be an emotional connection between these two when you just spend a full episode on it unconvincingly. Um, so, yeah, anyway, it just, there were a lot of very strange choices in the back half of this season. Um, 
in invalidating Imra and Monel's relationship so that we could validate Kara and Monel's relationships so that they could choose to be noble and sacrifice their relationship to help the future in the present. Like, just way too convoluted. Chris Wood is now on my radar because of his terrific work with really unfortunate material on this show. Yeah. He's very but the show's better off with him gone. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I mean, like, I'm excited about like having Brainy stick around in the DEO because that performance is fun and it's a very different. He's going to be energy. good. Yeah, he's going to be very good. And that actor, like, I mean, he was when Defiance gave him good material. He was very good. But this is a very sort of very different performance from his character in Defiance. And it's such a different kind of energy for the show overall um, that I really like it. And I think that he will provide a really good contrast, particularly with um, um, Chrysler, um, Chrysler, Chrysler, Kyler Lee, Kyler Lee. Thank you. Gus. Um, given her new, like, assumption of the DEO directorship, which, that's great that that's all you need. You don't need, like, presidential <laughs> No. The pass off of, No, no, it's just, the, 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 he, he just gets to make those unilateral decisions. We don't have to talk to Linda Carter about it. Um, which, oh, sad. Um, <laughs> So I'm excited about like that aspect of the show because that energy is going to be very different. His approach to dealing with humans that are not 12th level intellects is going to be very enjoyable, I think. And also Mm -hmm. he'll have time to see a Star War. (laughs) Here's some money. (laughs) Go see a Star War. You haven't seen a single Star War? Yeah, that was a good moment. Yeah, that was nice. Indeed. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm still going to come back for next season, but uh, I I really hope they have a chance. Like, that they assess again what worked and what didn't and really like figure that out you know and 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 steering into guardian and as as you know james being out as guardian i think could maybe finally give him better material right and last and it also means that they can just probably at this point just scuttle catco entirely which i feel like is what that decision is is like just eliminating catco from this this show basically forever which is yeah Sad because I'm when Calista Flockhart was involved, the Catco stuff was very good, but now it's just increasingly feeling extraneous. And the show really demonstrates this again by the whole. Well, I was really conflicted about my identities, and just like, were you though? The show certainly wasn't. <laughs> no, you were not. You're not even a little. Yeah. Um. So you know, like, and I, it's, it's frustrating because I like Kara as a journalist. When they actually give her stuff to do, it's nice. It's good, but they just never were interested in that. So. Anyways, um, let's move on to our next episode. Unless you have more Supergirl? No, please tell me about this show that I've complete that I was really enjoying and have now completely fallen very behind on. <laughs> um, Is it the Badlands had its mid-season finale? There is another eight episodes coming for season three, but uh, AMC has not set a premiere date for them yet. Uh, this was Chamber of Shadows, and we got, I, I mean, as is expected, badass fight scenes. Super entertaining and fun. Um, some some funny moments uh, with Nick Frost and some of the other supporting characters. Badass ladies, um, you know, in charge and kicking ass and taking names. Um, and the stuff, I feel like these eight episodes did a pretty good job with the, the Sunny arc with his kid, with the stuff with MK and Sunny that comes to a head in this mid-season finale in a, in a for me, a satisfying way. Okay. And I... Uh, 
I think that they, you know, like, that's not handled. None of it is handled. <laughs> it's a very mid-season finale. Everything. Like, there's one element of the the tension or the, the driving forces of the first half of the season that is addressed and handled in, the, in this. And as you would expect from a mid-season finale, probably the solution just made everything worse. <laughs> and that's what you want in a mid-season finale. It's a good cliffhanger. Uh, so, so I like the pieces of... Um, History they reveal about Azra, uh, Azra and, and the world before everything. I think that works pretty well. I like the tension between Baji and Sunny here. I, th- I totally bought it and thought it worked again. Uh, worked well. And while this is the show is just like so far from the most compelling TV I watch, what it's good at, it's very good at, and I appreciate it for its strengths. Well, that's good. And I've largely just fallen behind because I moved. And yeah. then it was just That'll like there was, a, there was a lot of other stuff that we needed to like watch every week that we were going to discuss. And it was just like, we're not going to discuss Into the Badlands every week. So it just kept falling behind. And so I think the last episode I watched was The Widow talking to Lorraine Toussaint's group. Mm-hmm. And then having a fight with some assassins that came. And that, I think, was the last episode I watched. I don't even think I finished <laughs> Um, yeah. so I'm easily like at least four to five episodes behind. Um, and I may try to catch up, but I have 13 episodes of Luke Cage that I need to watch now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, well, again, we don't know when it's coming back, so you've got some time. Yeah. 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 So we'll see. Um, yeah. But let's move on to our last show for Weekend Genre. That's Cloak and Dagger. And so, so I've, I sang the praises of this show in mm-hmm. my Consequence of Sound review. And then the very next episode, they take what was already, like, there were a couple of things we had talked about. I'm not sure how responsible or how, like, ex- exploitative a choice this is. Like, in the pilot, having one, their female protagonist, um, having her powers, tra- like, triggered in a new and more intense way by having her almost be raped. Um, and like that felt very exploitative and cheap, um, but it gave them the benefit of the doubt. And then right after I tell a bunch of people they should watch this show, they do a similar thing with suicide. What the fuck show? Not cool. Yeah, it's super weird because like everyone, like Kate and I have a rundown that we look at and like to track what we've each watched over the week so that we kind of have a sense of things. And so I'm watching Call of Response, and the only note that Kate has in here is irresponsible. And I'm just like, I'm just like, I, I'm going through the episode, I'm eating my lunch, I'm just like, I don't see anything that's irresponsible so far. <laughs> what is that even talking what about? Is, yeah. What is she talking about here? Is it something the characters do? Is it something the show's doing? And then I get to the end, I'm just like, oh, this is what Kate was talking about. This was not in her review a consequence of sound at all. <laughs> and mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's not a great look and it feels I really struggled with this on like a number of levels from the representation of power sort of level to a I don't know that it feels super motivated within the confines of the episode sort of level, which is my other sort of like larger problem with this. Um that both of these instances of, okay, she's going to jump off a bridge, chaining herself and binding herself so that she can't, like, swim up. Um, just, it feels like a turn within, even across these four episodes, that doesn't feel believable. That feels 
like it's supposed to really emphasize this idea of an inner hope for her, which is one of the driving forces in her discussion with Tyrone in the church, which this episode structurally, I think is really, really good up until this point that it feels like a really to your, to borrow your phrase, exploitive way of emphasizing that idea of that every, Everything else aside, Tandy has this deep wellspring of hope within her. And it's just like, this is not a good way to illustrate that in any way, shape, or form. It's irresponsible, like you say in our notes, but it's also just weirdly exploitive. And it's not compelling dramatically. And it makes me vaguely nervous. And I don't like being vaguely nervous about a show that we just were very excited about last week. Yeah. Well, and it's you. I it's hard for me to get away from the context of this is a show on freeform. At the very least, put a freaking trigger warning at the beginning of the episode, right? And there's none of that here, which is weird for them. Yeah, put like contains scenes of violence or emotionally disturbing or something, you know, and to to, to take this character to a point of running away, and I think that was what they were going for. The ultimate you know, running away would be a suicide attempt or something. I think that's what they're trying to say. Um, is And to depict it in this way and to depict it, like, I don't, I didn't believe it. I didn't think they earned it. And I also thought that, like, it just, it felt so incredibly cheap. Um, I didn't, like, what are you telling your audience? What are you telling your teen audience who you want to watch this show? who you are hoping will engage with this show. And there also was the stuff with the material, like the, the, the conversation that, uh, that the two of them have in the church, there's like that shaming and, and that, that anger and that vitriol. Why don't you just go kill yourself from, from, um, from, from Tyrone. And I think that, you know, the show's somewhat aware or presents that, you know, he also is a messed up kid. He's not the most mature, mature either, but I didn't think there was, I thought the show was too behind him in that moment yes. to backing what he was saying. And that also is very irresponsible. That you're, then you're teaching your, your audience that they should be like Tyrone and lash out at people who are in pain and who have suicidal ideation because that's an appropriate response. Like have some perspective on your characters. Not everything your characters say has to be right or has to be something that the show condones. You can convey that this is their perspective, but it's not necessarily what the show comes down on ultimately. And I think if you're going to be dealing with these, this serious and intense and dark of topics, you should. there's a responsibility when you are also specifically gearing for a teen audience at a very, like an impressionable audience um to to be more thoughtful and more aware yeah absolutely and when tyrone says well then why don't you just kill yourself it was just like it was this was where i thought that note was like about and then Mm -hmm. it was just like oh no 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 there's a (laughs) follow-up one moment (laughs) please yes and and so i was it's it it's very weird for the it's a very weird show and I do think that the show gets caught up in Tyrone's like momentum in and of itself. It's just like whomever was writing this episode got caught up in Tyrone's particular position of the discussion of privilege I think is generally really good, but I think it like got 
too far into that hole and it sagged into this and the show didn't recalibrate away from his position and that that's always sort of a danger when shows get a little too invested particularly to this degree and this sort of depiction of a particular character's perspective especially when it's supposed to be really balanced and like the fact that their particular power set is intended as a balance and so this, mm-hmm. the degree to which that they, and I'm saying that phrase a lot, so I apologize, that they come down too heavily on Tyrone's side is is troubling and worrisome. Like, he's in the right up to a point, but then it takes a weird swerve of, yes, this is a kid who's got serious issues that in and of himself may not be, like you said, the most mature kid. But the show itself has to be mature to balance that. And that doesn't come across. Yeah. Anyways, I am frustrated with the show. It is in the doghouse. And uh, yes, it does help to 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 put the Mardi Gras Indians into Tyrone's like family's history. I'm intrigued. I like that addition. That's very interesting. Um, that helps. But you're still in the doghouse show. We'll see yeah. what happens next. Any other thoughts on Cloak and Dagger? Or if not, what wins your week in genre? Um, I'm looking at the larger list. Um, <laughs> DuckTales! <laughs> um, I didn't really yeah, like DuckTales any... can count. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to DuckTales in genre, even though we discussed it in copy. Just because, like, the Supergirl finale was, like, whatever. And then the general, like, arc of this episode, I think, is good of Cloak and Dagger. But... The conclusion that they come to is not. So DuckTales, uh, what about you? Yeah, Luke Cage. I'll give it to Luke Cage. Um, and more on that next week. Now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend drama. Round, round, get around. I get around. Yeah, get around, round, round. I get around. I get around. That was I Get Around by the Beach Boys, memorably featured, delightfully featured in this week's episode of Claws, Cracker Casserole. Uh, next, uh, for, we'll start with that one, that episode, and then I'll move on to Pose, Giving and Receiving, we'll move over to Dietland, F This, and we'll round things up with the bold type, The Scarlet Letter. So I was saying last week that I wasn't sure how on board I was with Claws, and like I liked the episode, but I was a little weary about some of the the choices. And then they give us this episode, Noel, and it's so fucking good. It's like it's just it's a good episode with truly great scenes and moments, and groundbreaking and amazing. And I cannot 
wait to talk about it, but we mentioned in the previous segment, like, that we have these notes. And my note here is fucking preach, Dean! Preach! I loved the scene at the abortion clinic and, um, all, all, everything surrounding that part of the episode. It was just really powerful and, uh, necessary, I think. Um, for for some show to be giving this perspective, and then to then for them to go into that Brady Bunch style split screen was just and like and have that be how we find out this like ground like drop the ground out from under you kind of thing that we didn't know about Quiet and like oh man it was great I just, like the rest of the episode was very good but yeah just for the abortion sequence like the like the the that subplot of the episode alone. This is one of the best episodes I watched this year. Yeah, it, it's so good because here's the thing about this show is that particularly this episode is just really weird and wild and bizarre. It's just like, all right, we've got um, we've got I get around for a <laughs> just hilarious chase scene through a parking lot. But then we've got their whole commercial, which I have mm-hmm. questions about how they filmed that, but I also don't care because it's very good. <laughs> green screen. Green and, screen. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like, where do they get that green screen? <laughs> and so all of like between those two sequences, it's just like, this is a very weird episode of television that is devoting a lot of time to this. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, we're going to talk about abortion in a way that is really powerful in that it, avoids all the pitfalls of abortion representations on television. You had mentioned at the top um, to me before we started recording um, Candace Frederick's piece that outlines how really potent that abortion uh, sequence is. Um, It was published in the week. And basically the fact that, um, hang on, let me get the character's name because I don't remember her name. Virginia. Uh, Virginia. Yeah. Doesn't feel bad about getting the abortion doesn't feel any regrets. Dean is like, we're not ready to have a child in any way, shape, or form. Also, that is not an option for us. And for a variety of different reasons that Desna sort of like tries to warm out of him, but it's basically just like, they're young, they're not really engaged in a sort of relationship that can support child. So they're making what for them is a very responsible decision. And the show's way of depicting these opposing views with the Brady Bunch sort of split screen piled on with that quiet, with Judy Reyes' character, Quiet Anne's um, revelation is, like, really powerful. The decision to avoid, like, doing it within the um, within the nail shop in of itself, like, cutting back and forth between people or anything like that, as opposed to doing it in this format that calls to mind the white suburban nuclear family sort of setup is just so smart and clever and a way of discussing a concept of family and what that means. And while still providing weight to different viewpoints, it's just really masterfully done and it's really potently done. And it's just, it's something that feels wonderfully of a piece with an episode that again has a ridiculous scar chase and then that whole commercial number that all of it feels like it belongs in this show 
speaks to the fact that this show is so perfectly calibrated right now that they can get away with this and all of it work. Yeah. Well, and that that sequence in the abortion clinic, Virginia does not regret her choice to get an abortion. She goes there. She, you know, she talks to Dean before, you know, anybody else. And they, they go together for her to get an abortion but she's still, and she's like smack talking the the you know the fundamentalists outside, um, outside the clinic on her way in, and she's still vulnerable and a little scared and very sad when she's yeah. there, and and that doesn't change her mind. Being you know the fact that that Dean proposes doesn't change the fact that they aren't ready to have a baby. Um, right. And, and at the end, as she walks back out, she's like, oh, we still got the abortion. Because <laughs> just because I'm married doesn't mean I need to have, I need to make a baby so you guys can feel happy about your religious choices, you know. Um, and, and to have, again, as in the, the Brady split screen, to have that in, entirety of response, not trying to define her as one thing and saying that she can also have doubts and in insecurity and still know that she made the right choice for her is beautiful and is so well done and so well well written and performed and then to still again in that split screen provide the perspective of the character who's like oh no i had like two abortions and i don't regret it at all like for for some people for some characters on this show that wouldn't be a she they wouldn't have the second thought the like the concern or the the emotional negative like scared sad response but Virginia does, and they value them, even just, like, down to the size of the squares. <laughs> they value them equally. They value um, the different experiences and perspectives of these characters we see, most of them, not the shaming ones, just and give them equal time and equal sp- space. And it's just, like you said, it's absolutely phenomenal TV making. And it shows that Claws is the kind of show that can be ridiculous and silly and have a bunch of, of strippers in like 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 spangled doctor outfit nurse outfit inspired speedos dancing in in a parking lot and it can also have one of the most thoughtful and nuanced discussions of abortion I've seen on television um and it refuses to be defined as a show that is only interested in one of those two things Right, and because at its core, the show's defined by being about how women engage with society. And this is one of the ways in which women engage with society. I mean, they heightened it through a discussion of business practices that Desna has with um, Zalta, um, or whatever her name is. And mm-hmm. um, it's reinforced by... Weirdly, it's reinforced by TNT's ad breaks about talking about small business loans to women. Like, every other ad break is very weird. Um, (laughs) But it was just like, I'm not sure what the message I'm supposed to be taking from this. Sort of going back to television studies concepts of this idea of flow and, like, ads. But... That's what this is about, is like this discussion about feminism and women's place within society and how they 
deal with that kind of a thing. And so this is just a piece of that. And that's what the show's defined by and what they're interested in. But the abortion plot, which I feel like in any other show would be like a much larger subplot than it is here, when it feels like almost balanced by the hijinks that Bryce and Uncle Daddy get into (laughs) regarding Roller's painful massage. Um, Climbing that fence. (laughs) That's some really good physical comedy from Dean Norris. And Kyle Rankin, both of them. Right, both of them are just really good in that sequence. But it's just that this is the show that feels comfortable enough to be like, no, this is how we're going to present this, and we're going to devote just as much time to it. This is the position that we want to present on it, and this is how we want this to be depicted. And it, it speaks, I think, to where what I was talking about with like Cloak and Dagger of like getting carried away with a particular character's perspective. Here, the show does not get carried away with a perspective. It presents perspectives. It presents voices while still, I feel like, coming down very firmly that Virginia and Dean have made the correct decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that they have made there's a real relationship, which yes. was not a guaranteed thing from last season. No. But I love that choice. And if only because then there's no way for them to really uh, write off Virginia from Desna's life in an easy way. And I love that. Right. It's like delightful to watch Desna have to deal with Virginia. It is. And like the affinity between both those characters, I think, ends up working really well. And that was something I really was really iffy on going forward with this. But as the show like develops it, and particularly by the way that the show develops Desna's reactions to it, mm-hmm. I think really helps define and inform our opinion of the two of them as a couple. And I really like that. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts about this episode of Claws? I mean, a lot of stuff went down. Are there any yeah. particular standouts? Um, I mean... I have so many questions about where Carrie Preston's character gets her clothes, uh, particularly <laughs> <laughs> that, that 1920s, 1930s director look. Yeah. But I I don't care enough to like legitimately ask because it's just so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of stuff like goes down. Um, I, I will. The only other thing I will say is that I've really appreciated uh Letty's mom from Good Behavior showing up yeah. <laughs> as the hillbilly drunk mom in this episode mm-hmm. of um I can't remember her name um and then sleeping with Bryce mm-hmm. or like giving Bryce oral sex and it was just like I really appreciate that like weird sort of intertextual use here but then it also reminded me that TNT has now renewed Good Behavior for a third <gasps> season now I'm very sad wait it has? <laughs> like it hasn't. Like, oh, we still okay. have no news about if good behavior is coming back. And Listeners, presumably, if it's going to come back, it's not coming back this year, at least. Because there's no time. Listeners, Skype was just very mean to me. Skype garbled the int of no oh, hasn't. Wow. Yeah, no. I got very happy for a second there. I got very excited and then had to reel it back in. Oh, yeah, wow. no, I'm sorry about that. No, That's they it. haven't. And it's it's really frustrating. Yeah, I blame Skype. <laughs> Skype's fault. Yeah, for my emotional roller coaster there. Yeah, that was that was a lot. It was good casting. Of course, she was terrific. Um, the I'm a little, you know, 
I, I miss some of the subtlety with Polly. I think it's it, they're going very, very broad. Polly, here. yes. And Perry, Carrie yeah. Fresh is excellent at that. But I think I was, she was more interesting and more compelling and more uh, felt like a person in season one. And she doesn't hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, she feels like a bunch of ticks. Very entertaining ticks that I will happily watch. But uh, yeah, I would like to feel like there's more there there. So hopefully that yeah. her her episode is coming or something. Like this Polly wouldn't do that cupcake knife thing. And yes. and yeah. that was one of the highlights of season 1. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Anyways, uh, the next episode in our week in drama is Pose giving and receiving and I'm just going to keep this brief but I this was their Christmas episode. And I thought it was lovely and very well done for the most part. Uh it's about an hour and a half without commercials. It's very long, but I didn't care because so much of it was was compelling. And I, you know, I love everything with the House of Evangelista. Uh, I thought that like watching Blanca grow into her role as mother has been terrific. And we're only three episodes in, but I feel like she's already been on a distinct journey with that. I like everything with Damon and Ricky is so sweet. And like again, how often do you get to see uh, a a a black gay couple, black male gay couple on TV, like never. So it's really lovely to watch them sort of explore their burgeoning an early relationship. Um, I'm loving everything with Angel and those performances are so terrific. Then we have the House of Abundance, Electra Abundance, just who's so, I mean, she's so extra, <laughs> but the, the performance is just captivating and and so strong and uh every everything with that part of the show i think is is going like gangbusters and so i just i'm i feel like there's not again i feel like there's not enough discussion of pose right now and i don't think enough people are watching it and the fact that they have like two hour long episodes is probably a big part of why but um listeners if you have the time seek it out and if you don't, I understand. But if you do, seek it out. I don't have the time, Kate. I'm sorry. That's what I said. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. Uh, but yeah, but it's, again, three episodes in, I'm super, I'm super compelled and really appreciating all the performances. I'm also appreciating the performances over on Dietland. And we had episode four, F This, um, which basically was like the... Um, there's a lot of plum stuff, but I was very centered on everything with uh, Kitty that we got this episode, and uh, I really was enjoying that that part of the show. What did you think of this episode? I really liked this episode. It moved really, really quickly. I was watching this with my person, and it was one of those we were watching on the DVR, and we were fast forwarding through the commercials, and it was just like this is going really quickly. And she made the really excellent point that this is probably like the first episode that's been really low on expositional type stuff. It's like super sort of character driven, like dealing with a lot of, of, of ideological things that they make very explicit through Plum, but also like a lot of the kitty stuff is also very sort of um, lacking in that sort of ground setting world building stuff that the show's been doing for the previous three episodes. And so the action feels, the action such as the action, quote unquote, of being driven by the characters and their situations makes her just a really brisk hour of television that is really interesting and really thoughtful. And like you said, with the Kitty stuff in particular being really 
interesting to watch a different sort of power dynamic of this is how Kitty can operate within her particular realm of influence and power that we haven't seen prior to this episode. And so, and how she navigates those kind of sexual politics that come into play um, was just really interesting. And the fact that she's wanting to be ahead of this particular curve, um, I think is really interesting as well. So I really liked it. Um, Juliana Margulies is just so good in this role and she must feel just ridiculously liberated to be able to play something just this broad I think, yeah, because um, it's so good, and she's having a delightful time. I really feel like. Plus, that lipstick combo with the skirt with the drat with the tiger faces on it. Mm-hmm. Also, the use of t- the continued use of tigers <laughs> is very good. So, I'm really happy with Dylan. I'm really happy with the fact that this show isn't shying away from being really explicit with what it wants to talk about with ideas of bangability mm-hmm. and how this entire thing is in of itself a type of societal prison that you're just kind of feeding into and the tensions therein of that kind of a thing because it is a legitimate tension of like this but this is who I want to be no it's how society wants you to be and like the how you how you think about that and how you navigate that and the the way that the show is balancing those discussions again goes to like how clause in and of itself is sort of exploring these discussions about feminism and the body within and how it relates to women within society i think it's just really good and really interesting yeah well and again it's it's how society wants you to want to be too and and yes. i'd love yeah. that line that we get from from alicia i'm going to specify and say alicia as opposed to plum of i didn't yet want to be the hero i still wanted to be the hero's girlfriend yeah uh, and that's such a terrific encapsulation of where she's at and i think that yeah it it's it's very it's super watchable it's super fun and it's has the right balance I think of heightened and broad and ridiculous and, and also very specific and, and personal both, I think specifically in the performances, um, a lot of the story is very heightened, but I think the performances, like there's little moments of humanity and how their actors and the directors and editors and everybody are approaching the characters that, that really ground everything and make it, really work so yeah i'm having a lot of fun with island yeah and i think your point about like the performance is really grinding grinding grounding <laughs> um makes a big difference when everything else can borderline feel a little outlandish like when they do an entire sequence it's basically a very uncomfortable sitcom yeah and is something that should feel really catchy and overly produced or overly played out but the show finds a way to like make it funny because Plum is clearly aware of the entire thing because she keeps looking at the camera. Yeah. And (laughs) it's very good and it's very funny, but it's like, it's not overplayed and it doesn't cut to basically like my life in three camera type of thing. Um, It's still shot in a single cam sort of sequence, but it's, it's still really funny without like overplaying its hand, but then you get really powerful stuff like watching Plum go through a, getting her entire body outlined for surgery type of thing. And the potency of that image 
contrasted with her seeing a 3D representation of Alicia in Mm -hmm. the screen. And it's just like, this is very good. It's really powerful and it's deeply emotional. And the show's ability to balance all of that right now is really good. And I just hope that they can keep their handle, they can keep their hand on the wheel enough that it, this particular type, because this is a really delicate roller coaster. Yeah. Because it can go off that rail really quickly. <laughs> yes, that is very true. We've talked about this and I am still firmly <laughs> of that opinion. Uh, so we will see, but I, you know, I know I'm going to be watching because it was, it was another really strong episode. I also liked this week's episode of the bold type, the Scarlet Letter, and very specifically, I loved how it ended. Yeah. It was so good. And like I, I mentioned like off off uh, before we started recording that wa- like watching a lot of the media stuff on Dietland and then watching a lot of it play out here on the bowl type as well. It's it's the resonance between both of these shows, I think, is really interesting, um, given the very different sort of approaches that they have, given the very different sort of demographic skews that they want to hit with this. Um, but like bold type sort of, um, discussion about fat is fit and representations of like bodies within these type of Daisy Chain-esque, Scarlet-esque, Cosmo-esque sort of books is just really interesting. But to get to your point about the end, yes, it's so good. Mm. Like it, the decision to avoid that temptation to just have, um, oh dear. Jane. What's her name? Jane, thank you. God, it's so nondescript. That's why I keep forgetting it. (laughs) Um, Of having Jane knock it back to Scarlet is really good. And because it's it's so easy to have her come back because all the stories get unified and within the within the Scarlet workroom again. And the show's decision to be like, no. Because the show, here's the thing, the show's operating okay with Jane kind of outside of Scarlet right now. And the fact that this represents not only a growth opportunity for Jane, as is very heavily explained to us and to Jane, but also the fact that it represents a growth opportunity for the show as well to do something really different and to allow Jane to explore other avenues and to also demonstrate the pains of being a free professional freelance writer, um, mm-hmm. I think will be really interesting for the show to explore. And I hope that they remain dedicated to that because it will be really interesting. And it'll be really interesting to watch someone as aggressively type A as Jane to do. And I'm really excited by this avenue that the show wants to take. Yeah, there need to be consequences for the character's actions. And walking away from a well-paying job at a magazine you love because you want this other opportunity and then torpedoing that other opportunity needs to have consequences. It's still a job. You know, like there's there's yeah. shitty parts of every job and just the fact that you were in this bubble at Scarlet where you still weren't well, she still wasn't feeling super fulfilled. Which is why she yeah. left in, for insight, anyways. Like, I, I think the yes, it's very on the nose. But what they give, you know, Jacqueline is always right. What they give Jacqueline to say is again correct. And also, there need to be consequences. You can't pull that shit. <laughs> you yeah. know, like Jacqueline might not have a problem with like Jane's interview the way that pretty much any other publication is going to have a problem with that interview. 
But she does have a problem with her leaving. And it's like, we don't have a budget. So, yes, I know you're good, but lots of people are good. And we don't have the budget for it. So, no, I'm not going to stretch myself, you know, even further on a limb for you when I've got lots of my own problems. So, I wish you the best. I have no problem with you. I understand. And this is going to, this will be a big thing for you. She's absolutely right. It doesn't make it easier to hear. <laughs> but, yeah. um, it, but it's exactly what the show needs to. Absolutely. It would be very easy and very comfortable, just like it is for Jane, for the show to return to that. And I'm glad they don't go like, oops, we shouldn't have done the insight thing and just revert. So we'll see what comes next. And I agree watching Jane try to freelance is going to be fun. I think there's still soap in the champagne glass. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a fun little moment. Um, I liked the way they handled the stuff with Adina. I thought that that worked well. I liked that it was they didn't just go to like the busted candies being a good idea because it wasn't. It was not. It was not like a way worse idea than the candies, but um, and we'll see what comes next. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that there's like the show is trying to figure out a way to, while the show feels comfortable with having Jane sort of feel outside that orbit, the show is trying to find a way to put Adina into the orbit, Mm -hmm. really. And I think that this is a decent way of at least making a first step to doing that while demonstrating, like, the kind of tenuous position that um, Sutton is in versus the position that cat is in because really cats cat approaching Sutton to do that is also just a weird hierarchy issue that should not have happened oh because it's completely inappropriate yeah yeah no it's it's inappropriate like even if they were on like the same level within mm-hmm. like the scarlet hierarchy but cat has a bio on the website Sutton does not and so that's yeah. like a that's a hierarchy thing that the show does not explore probably wisely because there's enough stuff to sort of unpack with this but it's definitely something that the show can circle back to if it becomes a larger issue yeah well it's it's basically nepotism right it's yeah. not it's completely inappropriate um but you know what I did really like about it is I really appreciate it I kept waiting for this to happen and it didn't fortunately I really appreciate that we didn't get the you got me this job I thought you said that they want they asked me for specifically and I yeah. don't want you to get jobs for, like I'm glad we didn't do that because that is yes. not honest <laughs> oh yeah. these are small yeah. artistic communities and like you're constantly getting jobs and gigs from other from your friends and your, con- your people that you've worked with before because they want to work with people who are, they can trust who are good and like if you didn't get jobs thrown to you by friends or family like if, if not obviously I'm not if, if in favor of nepotism but as a as a just like a prince in on principle but like these are small closed communities so like knowing someone who's good and having a personal relationship with that person happens all the time even if it's not a romantic partnership you know but having a being they're your friend like i hire my friends all the time for things or i recommend them for jobs that kind of a thing because i they're good and if they didn't respect the work and do a good job and you know sound good i wouldn't have become friends with them (laughs) in the artistic community like i wouldn't i wouldn't have wanted to collaborate with them and gotten to know them better through collaborations and spent years like coming up together like i know that they're 
good, kind people, but I also know that they take their work seriously and are driven and are focused because those are the kind of people that I like to hang out with. Um, so, so yeah, people constantly in the creative community are uh, recommending family and friends, uh, f- you know, if they feel they're, you know, that they are appropriate for, for jobs. So um, I, that, I find that tiresome, like the notion of not wanting to accept anyone's help to get a job. If you are in the art, creative artistic community, that's like, that's not true. Do you, do you have, like, what do you, do you have any thoughts on this? Do you th- feel like that's an honest thing? I feel like people recommend their friends for jobs all the time. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's super, super, super common. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been in a position to do that necessarily myself. Um, mainly because I don't have that degree of influence by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. Um, but it is common enough that I've seen it happen before. I've helped at least like help people sort of sort out things. And like, I've recommended people talk to other people that I know, um, Mm -hmm. without necessarily making the introductions myself. Um, and so I've done that kind of a thing before. And the other layer that we should add to this particular type of situation within the bold type is that Adina's here on a work visa. Mm -hmm. And if she's not working, then that visa doesn't, get renewed and so this is also like the show mentions this as a particular tension of like she had she hasn't been able to do like a gallery thing yet because galleries are difficult to get into even if you're as generally well known as adina is or seems to be that you still need a portfolio to show you're working Mm -hmm. um so getting that is also important and i think that that also adds like a layer of well that's why i'm trying to do this is not only Mm -hmm. so that my girlfriend can stay in the country but also that politically this is a very kind of fraught situation that if definitely if she doesn't can't demonstrate that she's gone and i think that's that also adds a degree of weight from cat's side of it apart from it being just well it's just my girlfriend who needs some needs a needs a freelance commission basically yeah versus my girlfriend who needs a job to show to u.s immigration that she's working yeah well and it also is part of why it's so completely inappropriate so like the the, yes. the appropriate version of this as far as i'm concerned is sudden says while they're hanging out of the closet i need to find a photographer i think there's somebody i like but you know it's, it's short notice and then cat goes oh you know who's good Fill in the blank, you know, as opposed yeah. to, you know, like where where Sutton brings it up or Sutton asks for someone and then Kat yeah. says that that I think there's not that's not inappropriate. What happens in this episode, let me underline that, is completely inappropriate and not at all how hiring should happen. <laughs> right. As, and- yeah. Asking around for recommendations is something that happens in the arts constantly. Yeah. And I think that like it's the show also like I think makes an effort to sort of balance what cats asking from a hierarchical standpoint being weird versus the bribery that they engage in to get the original photographer of mm-hmm. yes yankee tickets of like this seems weird because you're going to pay the guy anyway so why are you bribing him exactly and the degrees to which like the give and take of the media industry basically works like this Mm-hmm. And demonstrating the kind of weirdness of that, I think, again, goes to how really good the bull type is at this sort of media landscape, media environment, without being necessarily overtly about the media. Yeah. 
No, that's true. And, you know, because now, of course, I'm feeling very self-conscious. I should also mention and say very explicitly part of the job, your job when you're in an artistic community is to be looking for new people too is to yes. be reaching out and trying to engage with people that you don't know yet that you haven't seen yet or and going to concerts going to shows like seeking p- other new voices out but when you already know somebody who's very good you know i don't think there's anything wrong with putting them up for a job if you're asked okay right, i've and- overthought about this i've over i've overthunk this entirely <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think you're right, because, like, this idea of, um, I feel like we're, like, I'm trying to keep tying it back to the show. Like, yeah. the other reason is, is, like, as Sutton explains, she isn't her boss. Yeah. She can't take that risk, necessarily. Yes, her mm-hmm. boss likes her, but her boss also acknowledges the fact that going against what he said is a major issue. Yeah. Of, like, if this hadn't panned out, you would have been fired. Um, luckily it does because we can't have two of the women, two of the leads on the yeah. show not be in the office. <laughs> that's a, that's a line too far for the show to commit to. Um, but it needed to work out, but it was also just like demonstrates the degree to which she covered herself by making sure Dina shot the candy mm-hmm. that what's his name wanted. Oliver, um, yeah. Oliver, thank you. That Oliver wanted, but also to, de- doing the other version that frankly ties in much better to the issues theme anyway, (laughs) but that Sutton's not at a level where she can just unilaterally make that decision anyway. She does and it works, but it's also one of those situations in which she had to make the decision to cover herself. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. It was a fun episode. It was an, you know, interesting episode and one I certainly enjoyed. Well, what wins your week in drama null? Ah, uh, claws. I mean, there's like hands it's down, nails down. It's claws. Yeah, pose is very good, but it's claws. <laughs> now we'll take a break and come back with our season spotlight on Queer Eye season two. I see a beard that is out of order and out of okay. date. Oh my god! They have a really special treat this week, guys. We're doing a lady. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. yeah. Personally, I've never done a lady. <laughs> His grooming routine is non-existent. Perfect. She thinks I uh, have potential for a better self. <laughs> what are you hoping to get from us? I just want to be able to be visible and be present and let everybody know that I'm okay. Who would have thought a bunch of gays would come to build a community center for a church? sometimes might not be the full me. Men have body issues. We just don't talk about it as comfortably as we should. She completes me in a way that nobody else ever has. She's the one. This is about to be epic. This man is now confident. This has been a life-changing week for me. People are going to know that they can thrive and succeed because of you. Continue making this world a better place. Oh, come here, Anthony. Anthony. <laughs> oh, my baby. Things keep getting better. This is the one I have to spank right here. <laughs> <laughs> the 
That's funny. That's the one we have to say. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week we are diving deep with season two of Queer Eye and the new Netflix reboot, we should specify. And now, uh, Noel, there is apparently a 20-minute preview sort of episode for season three that came out this weekend as we record? Or something like that. Yeah, it dropped... Um... It's. I think it's on YouTube, actually. I don't think it's like on Netflix proper, which is also weird. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's a 20-minute episode that was filmed in Yas, Australia, um, mm-hmm. chosen in probably no small part because they say Yas a lot. Um, so, yeah, so, um, but it came, it hit YouTube yesterday, it seems like. Okay. And we haven't watched it yet, everyone. Um, but yeah, so maybe it's a preview, maybe it's a full episode. I don't know. But yeah, we will talk about it when we do season three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so season two of Queer Eye, uh, apparently it was filmed very like right as they were finishing season one. They like went straight and did season two, which I have thoughts on because I think that that you know, explains certain things about this season, uh, second season. But uh, there, because of that, right, there's a lot of the same uh, same ticks and expectations for the different uh, members of the Fab Five. Five, I should say. We, I, I don't think we see a lot of a response to fan res- reactions to the show yet because they filmed these ones so close back to back. Um, but I, I, I did think it was very interesting that the first season, be, like it, it that the first season they released is all is all uh straight guys except for that one very memorable Remington. fourth episode. Yes. No. Of, no, of not Remington, season. AJ. AJ, sorry, yes, AJ. That one episode of season one. And then season two ha- features uh of a, a black woman is one of the first as the first episode. It features a trans man. It features like so they really expand their uh, client base, I guess, as it were. And that was a critique for a lot of people of the first season, but it was one that they clearly anticipated because they like they didn't wait for audience response before they filmed this. So uh, were there any elements of the second season that felt like in like a, a direct response to choices in the first season, or did it feel like more like a continuation with just a couple tweaks here and there? It felt significantly more like a continuation to me. Like, legitimately, I thought that Basically, they had just shot season season one, quote unquote, and then just split it in half. Yeah, and did air this set of episodes as season two. Even so far as to say that I feel like these episodes were maybe filmed while they were filmed at the tail end of season one. Allegedly, I also feel like a number of these episodes may have been filmed at some point within the filming of season one. Yeah, based yeah. on like hairstyles of of a couple of them and how they were looking and it's just like this feels like the same thing also you guys are sort of hitting a couple of the same beats in some of these episodes yeah um from a the one of the five five learning something about from the their particular hero which is apparently what they refer to each of the people um that they help make over a little bit so yeah, to answer your question, it generally just feels like an extension of season one. It doesn't feel like a um, a separate season or a 
retooled or recalibrated sort of season. Like, literally, Kate, the biggest difference between seasons one and season two is that Antony does not use avocados, but God, Tan just is just won't shut up about the French talk, which is just patently a terrible look. I don't care what he thinks. It looks bad. <laughs> yeah. It I, looks like you gave up is what it looks like. <laughs> it's it's something that I saw so many people responding to, but he was all about the French tuck in the first season too. He just didn't call it that. In almost yeah. every episode in the first season, they he has, has the, the person do a French tuck as well. It's just yes, that he defines he does. the term in season two. Yeah. And and the same thing is true uh uh well and not the same thing is true. What I should say is that that you know that impacted my viewing here because I saw some people really respond like the French tuck thing I just thought was like weren't you guys paying attention in season 1? But the other thing I saw a lot of from people was a feeling like Jonathan uh was shaved the beard happy in the second season and that there was too much like people felt shamed almost by the 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 facial grooming and the hair, but in the first season, like so many people kept their beards. He he only made like one or two people shave off anything significant, yeah. and so for me, it didn't feel like it was like he was Clippers happy because it felt like you know well in season one the first part like they filmed the stuff kind of back to back. So I think if you average the two seasons, it really balances out. Yeah, and I think that the other thing, this idea that Jonathan hates beards would be really weird, because have you seen Jonathan lately? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. His mustache is really thick now, on top of, like, the more kind of, like, thinned-out beard that he tip, the thinner beard that he has, but his mustache is, like, f***ing massive now. And so it's just really, that concept is really weird to me, even though I was aware of the fact that he was just like, we're gonna get rid of the beards. And... Mm -hmm. At the same time, apart from Skylar's beard, um, which Jonathan acknowledged as sort of a, this is something I need to be very careful about for very obvious reasons, um, that getting rid of the beards in almost every case was a good idea anyway, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, is the thing, particularly with um, uh Ted, the mayor of Clarkston, who's a guy I recognized, actually, when they were highlighting him. I just went, oh, I remember that whole election thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so it was just one of those things where I was just like, I was fine with it. He was very, let's get rid of the beard, happy. But in almost every case, it was a smart idea. <laughs> yeah. I would have let the uh, Burning Man guy keep like a Van Dyke if he wanted to. Yeah, but, absolutely. But- but he, but like the clean shaven looked good, the Van Dyke looked good, the full thing he was rocking before did not. So no. it, it definitely like they said like shaved ten years off his face. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it, it was interesting for me thinking about this as a standalone season versus an extension of the season. The one thing I will say that as an extension of the first season, something I need to see a change in in season two, in season three. I assume it's getting a season three. Um, the yes, it would be nice if Tan would just fall a little, or maybe I don't even need to, him to fall out of love with the French tuck. Just like embrace a different potential as well, as well as the yeah. French tuck. The one thing I kind of need is for Miracle Worker Bobby to stop painting every room dark blue or black. What is or what is with his obsession with dark colors? Because I do not understand it. 
as an interior design element like i don't i don't get it like so and then then, of course i remember in season one um in that in episode six they had um the house family with all the kids um and they just painted he just painted the room like bright white like everything was white because it was easy to keep clean right so he will do that sometimes but like there's so many like the the first episode of season two the the community center is like painting all the walls dark dark blue and i'm like you realize you're shrinking this space you should yeah. be making the space look bigger. And yes, the white trim with the dark blue did look very clean, look very nice. It was a good look. But like the whole room, the whole room. So anyways, I'm, I'm a little over all the blacks and dark blues and grays from Bobby. When he was when he was painting Sean's amazing like space black in the yeah. back, I was just like, what are you doing? Why are, he's got this massive open floor plan space and you're just you're gonna swallow it up by painting it black? It's just like I don't understand what's happening right now, Robbie. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a memorable episode for me. It was memorable because I kind of would like them to check in with that guy in a few years, assuming all goes well. Because uh, he's just so awkward. Yeah. Yeah, he's so yeah. incredibly awkward. You see, like he's like, this is how a human interacts with other humans. Uh, like he, he's just because he, he's just he's he's feels like a baby because he hasn't had the social interactions. Like you know, emphasis of why it's good to have public schools uh, that people can access that suit their you know hopefully are su- suit the needs of this of the students because he's just like, oh man, he's gonna get eaten by college. <laughs> I mean, that entire episode is, like, super cringeworthy because, like, Karama's just like, go interact with those complete strangers over there. And it's just like, yeah, no, do not interact with those complete strangers over there. That is a terrible idea. Do not do that, Sean. Do not listen to him. <laughs> um, why are you, why am I having an anxiety attack because of this show? But that's also, like, a lot of what I felt like this season was of, like, mm-hmm. you need to socialize more. And it's just like, um... Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe I can or, like, stay inside. <laughs> for Sean, like the structured socializing of the cooking class, that's yes. good. That's yeah, one on that's one. That's fine. Yeah. Dip your toes in, you know, meet some people your own age. Live. You live in a similar area. You probably will have some things in common. Like, start there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, Don't man. do a random smattering of youths. At the paintball group. And also, Karamo, way to make that all about you, man. Way to make that yeah. all about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other one that I was a little uncomfortable with was the, um, would, won't you please bang your, your your cute friend so that and not move to Reno because it would make our storyline so much more interesting. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, I mean, that I'm was glad really... happy ending, if they're happy together, that's great. But like, yeah. Yeah, and the meta-awareness of that, of, like, this is how your space can look in Reno type of thing, of, like, why are we doing this? But also, guys, this is something that comes up, like, a lot, particularly in this season, far more than it did in season one. It was also a lot of, these are apartments and carriage mm-hmm. houses that these people are renting. I would like to see the discussion with the, the landlord and property management company, please and yeah. thank you, about yeah. remaking some of these spaces, particularly like Sean's space. I'm sure whomever owns that space is actually really pleased that that bare yeah. wall place that was just going to have a beanbag and a mattress in it 
has now like value has gone astronomically much higher <laughs> than it mm-hmm. probably anything else in Maysville, Georgia. <laughs> yeah. But I think that is also though it speaks to the reality of much many more people at this point. Yeah. You know? A lot yeah. of people watching don't own their homes. Don't have yeah. a, <laughs> the notion of ever owning a home is just beyond what they will experience. So maybe yeah, they'll be able to own an apartment. Maybe they'll be able to own a condo. But it's kind of nice to see them working in different spaces. But you're absolutely right. They never bothered to share that part of the conversation. <laughs> no. And like Jason's whole thing of like, it's getting really, I'm getting priced out of Atlanta. And A, looking at where that, roughly where that carriage house was like behind that other house. Just like, well, f- yeah, you're getting priced out of Atlanta because look at that carriage house you're living in. That carriage house is nice. It's nicer than the carriage house yeah. I lived in. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, what I appreciate about the second season, though, I think we got a lot more in the second season of the the different Fab Five assessing what the people had and celebrating it and finding it instead of just like, this notion of throw out whatever, you know, everything that you have or that you have accumulated and not sorted through in 10 years and more going like, I actually like a lot of this. Why do you have all the, or like Bobby, like with, with the, the burner, like, why do you have all these cool pieces in a stack in this room when you are like tan with some of the clothes? Like, I actually like a lot. I don't like that. That's horrible. But I like a lot of these clothes. Why are you wearing all the ugly ones? Why don't you wear these nice ones that you have? Yeah. And I I think that's something that if there's a clear development between seasons one and two is like season one was still had that air of like, we're not going to tear you down to rebuild you. We're going to just do some repair work, basically, of improve. We're going to make some improvements, but we're not going to tear you down because that was sort of the um, approach and aesthetic of the original series on Bravo of like heavy on the criticism and then we're going to make you better. This is even in season one of Queer Eye on Netflix, it was very much like we're going to just improve and better these kinds of things. And if there's a clear sort of, all right, we've, we figured out our formula sort of idea between these two seasons. It's that it's the fact that, We've got people who, based on just also just benefiting from changes within cultural expect casting and also cultural expectations and cultural understandings and also just the fact that maybe people just dress better or Mm -hmm. the ways that society has swallowed and absorbed the lessons of of queer eye for the straight guy, but also just adopting certain things from gay culture in general and that kind of a thing have come enough into the fold to a certain degree that they can do that without necessarily having to tear people down. And so that I feel like is enough of an acknowledgement of what they were doing in season one carrying over here. Because like you said, like there's a lot of tan going, no, you actually have a number of really good things in this, in this closet. I don't really have to do a lot of work here and I'm that's great. You just need to use a French tuck. No, no, I don't need to use a French tuck. <laughs> well, question though, is a French tuck uh-huh. better than untucked? 
I've, I legitimately feel like a French tuck just looks like you gave up for some reason. And one of my Twitter followers, um, Heather Muse, wisely and correctly described it as a shirt mullet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But and I, I, I feel like, and I do acknowledge that a number of people feel like, as particularly with button downs, like they should just be tucked in in, in subcapacity. Mm-hmm. And that where you're not tucking them in, it looks really weird. Mm-hmm. Particularly if, like, and I'm a, and I do this as well. Like, I don't typically wear button downs unbuttoned anymore with the shirt underneath. It's they're mm-hmm. almost com- always completely buttoned. But I never tuck them in unless I'm going somewhere where it feels justified. And for me, it it would drive me crazy that it's half in and half out. Like, yeah. I would not be able to deal with that on just, like, a aesthetic OCD level, which is my other objection to it. It's just like, no, just pick one, but don't do both. Um, so <laughs> I feel like if you're going to just remain completely untucked, it's fine. It's fine. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> disagree strongly. And here's why. If you're going to wear a, a button-down shirt untucked or a T-shirt untucked or any kind of shirt untucked you have to know that when you buy it because the proportions matter so if you are somebody who has a longer or a shorter body the length of the shirt like where it falls makes a big difference in the overall look so if the shirt is too long it looks weird if it's too short it does it looks weird if it has a scraggly hem or something like the number of these guys who then did who wore the nice button down shirt but then didn't tuck in any way tuck it in at all it's like you why are you wearing a nice dress shirt that you are not going to wear in a dress fashion or or, but Mm -hmm. you're 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 dressing up but you're not committing to it so then wear a less dressy but still nice shirt or commit to wearing a button-down shirt and tuck it in like that's what I need from you. <laughs> I also this is a bit of a thing for me, listeners, because when my students do recitals, I constantly have to tell my students to tuck their shirts in. The 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 gentleman, the young gentleman. Um, and it's like you don't you look like you're half dressed. So you're wearing a you're wearing nice pants, you're wearing a belt, tuck in your shirt. Yeah, and I and here I, I endeth like, my rant I, about tuck. Well, I think that within the context of like a recital that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say you're on national television, probably. Well, Netflix sense, isn't na- national television, so it doesn't matter. International Your rule doesn't apply. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, did you have a favorite episode? Um, that's a good question. I think a number of these episodes are pretty solid. Um, Sky's the Limit is just a really good episode, um, and Skylar is very good. Mm-hmm. Um I, I when that when I watched that episode, I, I was reminded of our discussion about Todrick. Yeah, <laughs> and I just went, "Wow!" Even in like a non-RuPaul sort of perspective, I'm not really a big fan. Um, um, but just Skyler's personality. That's great. Yeah, Skyler's so great in it, and it's really good. And that episode, I think, is really solid. Um, I like the oh. Sean episode. I should mention there was a terrific piece that I saw and I, I'll try to find it again and link it in the notes about the ways in which that episode, uh, the, the like talking about ways in which that episode failed its, its trans man, like protagonist and some things that it 
got wrong that that it should have done better that the episode should have done better and uh while also acknowledging all the things it did right that it did, it did well uh, but like the notion of like watching skylar's video post-op without his permission and was really did, like that's really invasive that's not okay you should have yeah. asked their his permission um and and like the language that karamo uses trying to relate to the audience uh, you know like to skylar saying like he has this other thing that he has to deal with that we don't have to deal with when you say we you're excluding every trans person from the audience you're assuming the entire audience is cis and that's stupid <laughs> you, you you could say that people like i like me don't have to deal with like you know things little things like that that um i because i none and these didn't occur to me and i read this article and felt really stupid it's like well of course this is a these are excellent and very valid points and um, maybe something that they would have caught if they had more 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 trans people on their crew or on their in their in their just the production team um because if you're gonna do makeovers of trans people i think it's important to be thoughtful about all the like the because it's so hard to notice the things you assume as a cis person because you've assumed them all your life you know this you don't yeah. even notice your blind spots which they did a good job of addressing in that episode and and the the it also assumes that all trans people want to look cis yeah and skylar does that's what skylar that's the aesthetic skylar was was shooting for and talked about he talked about feeling so much more comfortable in his body and in his clothes and and that was great but that's also just this idea of like what you know how should you look and and they, there's less of a discussion of why does skylar dress the way that he does and and this this urgency to throw all of that out that yeah. without a discussion of why did Skyler <laughs> decorate his entire house in pride flags and everything? Yeah. And, you know, like, like they could have had more conversation about that. And certainly on Netflix where there's no time constraints, you know, anyways, so, but I'll, I'll see if I can link that. Cause I also really liked that episode. I thought it was overall very good, but yeah. there's still more that I hope that they will engage with and think about when they have their next trans, um, right. Get, and you said hero. Yeah. Hero is the word that they use, which is weird. Um, and I think that it's one of those things where it's just like, well, if you just show Skylar the episode before you air it and allow Skylar (laughs) to have a degree of input in that, you avoid a lot of that. Because even within like the airing of the episode, when Jonathan's just like, well, just your Adam's apple and Skylar's just like, motherfucker, I don't have one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And that allows. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you finish. And that allows, like, that an instance of that to, like, come through. But it's also, like, the degree to which Jonathan's just like, I want to get rid of the beard. And it's just like, buddy, took two to three years to grow that. That's a big thing. That's, like, a thing for a representational perspective for him to present Mm -hmm. um, like that. Just physically. And so it's just like, that to be the first thing you're ready to get rid of is just like, Oh, let's have a discussion about this, please, and thank you. And there's a discussion insofar as like, I want to get rid of this. We'll we'll balance it, but it's just like, I want more of a discussion, <laughs> please. Yeah, <and> thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, and in the notion that if Skyler was a cis man, that would be the first thing that you would do. 
Yeah. But Skylar's not a cis man. Skylar's a trans man. And that affects, you know, every part of his life. And that mm-hmm. changes conversations. Of course. Of course. Why Why would you go from the same starting point that you would for a trans man? Like, why would you go from the same starting point for, for uh, like, a, a straight person versus a queer person? A man versus a woman versus a non-binary person? They're, they have, you know, every, you know, each individual has their own needs. But to, to start from the same, like, assumption of physical attractiveness and desirability and, like, what they want to look like is you know, not – again, it should, should have been more of a conversation. Well, this gets into, like, larger discussions about how – what Queer Eye's approach to male representation is. Mm-hmm. And this sort of prescript – not necessarily prescriptive, but to a certain degree prescriptive – um, representations of a type of masculinity and mm-hmm. what that looks like. And this idea, like, this comes up in maybe Sean's episode, maybe Ari's episode, mm-hmm. um, about how Tan never feels more like a man than when he's in a suit. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, that's that's a that's a weird thing to say as someone who hates being in suits. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I've do not feel anywhere close to that. Also, let's have a discussion about suits within media culture and within, like, let's talk about Marlene Dietrich just real quick, everyone. Mm-hmm. And this, or let's talk about Joan Watson real quick, everyone, about what the suit signifies and this kind of a thing. But this sort of, like, gender play is weird to watch on this show, particularly when they do a very quick QE, hashtag QE tip of well if you can't find something in your section go to the opposite section and be like jonathan and it's just of clothing section and it's just like this is all very weird sort of on the one hand gender essentialism kind of an approach that we're taking while still encouraging a degree of gender clothing fluidity Mm -hmm. and it's 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 a little awkward sometimes the way that they're they struggle to like thread that needle yeah no i would agree with that um one thing that i didn't pick up on but i saw someone else pick up on on twitter so i can't Uh attest to this but assuming they're right um is that in the skylar episode apparently because you know you know jonathan uh yas queen and honey and and oh bitch you like apparently in in the skylar episode he didn't use any of those feminization terms towards skylar it was and Mm -hmm. that means that's a distinct choice and that's something that is terrific. <laughs> so to not be like, to not use feminizing terminology with Skyler, uh, because that might undermine to some people his masculinity and his identity. I've, for someone who it seems like such a distinct part of Jonathan's vocabulary and personality, that is a that is a choice. And if that is indeed accurate, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and now that you said it, I'm feeling like that's super true. Mm-hmm. But I'd have to go back and watch that episode. Um, were there any episodes that stood out to you in particular? Um, you know, I liked, I, I think there was more of this in season one, but I did like some awareness of the character's financial backgrounds. So like having, featuring Walmart employees, you know? Yeah. I thought that was really sweet and fun. And um, there was there's more product placements and just go to this place, you know, like, but I liked that 
you know, there also seemed like there was a, a awareness of, honestly, how many pairs of pants do you need? Like, four? You need a good suit? You need, like, a, a one, maybe two formal wear options and then X number of casual options. You don't need a massive closet full of clothes. You don't need cons- – yeah. if you want to, great. But here's what you need. Like, ten shirts, five pants, enough socks and underwear – you don't like so in there were episodes in which it felt less consumerist in a way that i thought was yes. really terrific yeah and i think that's true like this i think that you're there's definitely more of like a class awareness within season one than there is in season two i feel like yes. um but there's there's also like less opportunity for that i feel like in this one as well um just based on mm-hmm. like their casting choices um yeah and they make less of a deal out of it, too, I think is the other thing. Um, yeah. There's, like, fewer, like, multi... There's there, there's fewer, like, families with children being depicted in this season than there were in the other season. Um, there's basically the... Who is it? Leo is, mm-hmm. like, the extent of, I think, with the kids. Um, I think... I want to say that's correct. I think everyone yeah. else was single or involved with someone. Mm-hmm. Um so there was less opportunity for that. And I was sort of waiting for it to like become a thing in the Skylar episode because it's just like they're living in Athens, um, but they have a lot of folks over and like that kind of a thing. And they've got roommates and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I lost my train of thought. But yeah, so there's less of that. There's less of a consumerism thing. And I think your larger point about doing more with less in terms of like if you have these things that go with these things you can mix and match and do these things and the closets are all generally pretty contained it's just like you need a decent going out shoe you need a decent whatever kind of shoe and then a couple of pants and then enough of everything else and also please for the love of god just wash everything (laughs) (laughs) yes um yeah so yeah, but then, like, I think about the classes, and I think about some of the sort of, like, again, going back to this kind of essentialist sort of arguments of, like, particularly with, like, the Leo episode, but then also with, to a certain degree with the Ted episode of, like, the idea that the partner, the female partner was going to take over the closet because they expanded the closet space. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, guys, uh, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. But come on. Yeah, do better. Yeah, though I I did think that was like almost confirmed when when she walked in. And he's like, "This is mine." And she was like, "You're yeah. going to steal it?" Yes, <laughs> yes, I am. Um, yeah. that was that was funny. You know, and the last thing I'll mention uh, that something that just a little tiny detail that makes me so much more confident in the Fab Five and in specifically in Bobby than it shows, like for example, trading spaces. I love that little, like, five-second clip they included of, we're putting a bench here. Can you, this, we got a vent, though. We can't block the vent. Can you put it yeah. in, like, a thing? Like, the fact that they felt like they should show us that, to show us, yes, we do care. Yes, we are thinking about their actual lives and the day to, like, we're not going to glue hay on their walls, you know? We are actually taking into consideration... <laughs> I'm glad I can remember that specific thing of trading spaces with gluing hay on the wall. We all remember Hilly's hay. We wall. all remember that. God, that's so bad. Anyway, continue. <laughs> but but I, that says so much about 
their perspective and their responsibility and their um, professionalism in their mm-hmm. job and in their work. And to, to if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. We're going to make sure that we don't set, set like what's the use of a awesome new expanded couch slash window seat if that means they can't use the AC here and it and it humidity and you starts coming from the air conditioning <laughs> and oh well yeah and the uh, it blocks the vent and so it gets hum- humidity build up and then we get they get mold and then like it just it causes more problems and so so just a little thing like that I so appreciate it I mean it helps my 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 grandpa built our house and so like ten houses <laughs> in his lifetime so like. I, you know, I, I enjoy the smell of fresh lumber. I've been on a roof putting out, like, re-roofing all the, like, redoing all the tar paper and the shingles. Like, so I've been around enough of that construction building stuff when I was a kid to have a real appreciation for those kind of considerations. So, yeah, it, it I, I look forward to what they're going to bring in season three and hopefully they'll keep expanding and growing. I've seen a lot of people call for, hey, why don't we have a five, a Fab Five show up for an episode or two? of all queer women to make over mm-hmm. a queer woman. Um, and I think that would be awesome to do. Um, but I think this is another strong season. And I just, I would love if they kept putting out like eight episodes at a time, like every six months. Yeah. Like, yes, please. Yeah. I think that, I think that model works really well, especially for the show. Um, and yeah, I I think it, I think it works well. I think it's, I don't. I don't think this second season is necessarily as strong as the first season, but I also feel like the 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 first season has a wider political charge that the second season generally lacks, um, which is fine. But it also makes it slightly more slightly more run of the mill type of thing. Um, though I did really appreciate when they're just like, he's got a Hillary sign. Look at this. He's got a Hillary sign. I was a Bernie delegate. And she's like, yes, it's very <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. And I will admit that I did spoil myself watching the make Ted a great again episode because I just went, I, yeah, I'm going to look this guy up real quick. And he's been following their advice still. So I like saw Yay. recent photos of him, like on like the Clarkston website and everything. And in like news clippings and he's, he was wearing like a purple suit in like a photo nice. op from like earlier this year. Um, that was very clearly influenced by his time. <laughs> yeah. And so I just went, he's, he's paying attention. Um, he's continuing this. Cause he also like, um, got reelected this year. Um, so presumably like either, I don't remember when these were filmed, but he got reelected like in, um, this year for a second term, um, which is cruel. And, um, so he's clearly been following their advice and maybe that helped get him reelected. I just like, I just, in my mind's eye, I feel like he could rock a purple suit, you know, it feels like a very, very him choice. I will look up that photo because he looks very good in it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Way to go. Well, any final thoughts on Queer Eye? Um, no. Like, I think, like, this idea of, like, rolling them out every six months is probably the best way to do it, though I imagine it's going to get production-wise just super grueling at yeah. some point. Yeah. And, and just, you know, it's... We've talked about the last several weeks. It's been shitty weeks recently. Having some TV like this is so good. It's very good for me to have TV like this yeah. to watch sometimes. So thank you, Netflix. Um, it's something that um, the 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 guys over on All Right Mary, which is a RuPaul's Drag Race 
podcast talked about recently about kind TV. It's good to have some kind TV yeah. to watch every now and again. And Break Off is another great example. Um, I'm hoping <laughs> that this new Making It show will be more of it. Um, and that's what my takeaway is for this. It, it's, you know, despite any of its flaws or what is continuing its growing pains and stuff, um, I'm still really enjoying Queer Eye and I look forward to what comes next. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of what comes next, a few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can leave us a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there, or find us in iTunes with our MP3 unchaptered feed and M4A chaptered feed, and leave us a rating or review. You can also find us in Stitcher. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And once more, plug, plug, go over to the AV Club and read my recaps and reviews of The Great British Baking Show, Season 5, or aka The Great British Bake Off, Season 3, from like several years ago. But like, rewatch, guys. It'll be, it'll be fabulous. It'll just make your, your, your little heart grow. It'll rise with its proof and double proof, because this week it's cake and bread week. So, of course, we get to have cake and also bread. Yeah, no, bread's always the best episode. Bread's always the best episode. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you, Noel, so much. Thank you, Kate. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 